Let's get it going. It's time to get up. He'll keep it himself. Up the middle he goes. First down and more. 30-yard line, 20-yard line, and into the end zone untouched. Lamar Jackson. These guys are here to break it all down. All you can do is prepare for anything and expect anything. I have some people sadly were convinced to me that there's no way they're starting on January 13th. I don't know, but they're going to try. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, everybody. It is Wednesday, December the 9th. This is the starting lineup here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. James Sabalski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Valak on the other side of the glass. Hanging with you until 9 o'clock this morning on Sportsnet 650. You hear that old clip of Mike Singletary. Do you ever wonder if, like, there's a boss that ever talked about you like that, maybe in an internal meeting with another management type? Within the last couple of weeks or well, ever? I mean, <laughs> how, about, how, about, how about ever? And then you can also go with include. That way you can include the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. Can I get, is it multiple choice? All of the above. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but that that's a test of time, that clip. You could pull that out any sport, pretty much any time after any loss, going, you can't work. I mean, I don't know what Balak was thinking in the opening, but if you, you watched the Dallas Cowboys yesterday, going, well, all right, that's that's it. You know, you could have done that, you know, for the Ottawa Senators a couple of years ago, the Edmonton Oilers. That could have been the that could have been a, a post game of Willie Desjardins during his time. Uh, you know, that could have been a John Tortorella speech after day one with the Canucks. Yeah, it's nasty. Which, which yeah, Canuck would be which, it's best okay. not to know what's said about you behind? Let me doors, throw this at you then. Which Canuck most likely would Mike Singletary go off on like that? Oh, Jake for ten. <laughs> don't you think? Like, I don't, there's not even a question. You see what I did there? I was a lot. That's a, that's a that's a gopher ball, right? Like that's a that's a home run ball. I just served up to you there. You the you ball. always like to talk about. You know, we could play a game, and what's this have to do with the Canucks? I think every episode, 365 days, we could probably find a conversation and go, how is this related to Jake for ten? Right. How oh, is this, you know, yeah. last night, Des Bryant, you're on the field warming up. You're told you got COVID, you're retested. Then you're told you can't play. Then you retire during the game. I'm quitting this season. I'm done. You're so emotional. How is it related to Jake for dinner? Yeah, you got to be better on social media. Remember Jake driving the truck and gear? I can't do that. You got to be better on social media. It's always it, a way to tie it back to Jake for dinner. It, it's a true, it's a true art that, I, I, I had a talk show out East years back and my co-host slash producer, it was something that he had kind of had the brainchild of that just said like, what's this got to do with the Leafs? And you just, we talk about anything like I just, and we'd goof around sometimes in a show meeting to see, all right, how would like, let's relate it to like, let's just find something that's out there in the world that you would. And, and man, he would do it. And and so we started doing it as as a bit on the air. But you like you could honestly you can find anything out there in the world for the most part, and somehow bring it back to the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. Right? It's okay, like it's I'll like challenge, I'll challenge you right now. Okay. And and for everyone knowing, we didn't discuss this at all when we were together a half hour ago. <laughs> going, what are we doing today? And we have the show lined up. 
Go for it. Uh, Donna Spencer, by the way, will come up. Um, I'm looking at my Christmas tree. So what does my Christmas tree have to do with the Canucks and or Jake Catan? Well, you know, a lot of people are going above and beyond this year with the Christmas holiday spirit. A lot of Christmas lights. I think if you go to hardware stores and places that sell, you know, Christmas lights and Christmas decor, they are just flying off the shelves. A lot of people going big. You obviously got a big Christmas tree. A lot of lights this year with a huge tree. Uh, bringing joy and tidings at this time of the season. Kind of like the Canucks a lot of hope about whether or not the Canucks will return to play and just the excitement anticipation and the hope that the Canucks can bring to the fan base this year with Elias Pettersson Quinn Hughes Bo Horvat Brock Besser and newcomers like Nate Schmidt and dare I say Braden Holtby eh there you go hey, very very see? good very good yeah. I know not bad. And I was thinking the same thing. The Christmas tree one. is kind yeah. of the Christmas tree is how, what are you going to do? You know, you bought it. It's your foundation. But how is it going to look a day later once you decorate it? Are you going everything on the top? That star is the key. That's where it's lit up. But if you put too much on the bottom, then have you dispersed it the right way? Do you got a top six or is everything done on the bottom with all your decorations? You've got to make sure it's balanced just like the Canucks. Or would, or would you imply that that's a bottom heavy tree? Well, yeah, that could be it, right? I'm, I'm looking at my tree now. I think it's very well balanced. I think as a GM of my Christmas tree, I'm quite pleased with what I've done in the offseason. <laughs> That's fair. I, You know what? We've got a puppy right now. we got a puppy, and so he's curious about the Christmas tree. So he has definitely taken bulbs and, uh, and ornaments off. And just so mm-hmm. we've had to actually put a chair next or a little table next to the tree this year and put gifts up on that just to uh, prevent him from opening presents two weeks before Christmas. So that's, that's, oh, our, uh, we had a, uh, going to a midnight mass probably 15 years ago and came back to a shredded Christmas where the dog just went, I don't know what was in there. (laughs) If we were stupid enough that we had actually wrapped something with a scent and uh, Christmas had been destroyed pretty much. Fortunately, Hannah was, big enough that is you know what just turn your head we're gonna wrap some other stuff i don't think we gave any secrets away but boy that's deflating and what can you do it's just like okay you're a curious dog by the way we're speaking about animals uh an email sent to us in the animal area that uh uh, two nights ago i guess it would have been sunday night a uh, a bear and family with a family inside their house had a scent and uh busted down some of the doors that go to the kitchen and walked right into the house that's not, that's not, that's P.S. That's not B.S. So they said, be aware. <laughs> Do you be imagine? Aware your Merry Christmas! Ah! <laughs> I mean, Honey, did you leave the... Ah! Yeah. Where would they be coming from and how are we moving if that... Now, it's never happening. We had three dogs oh, that go crazy. Man. But how about that for a scare? Your family's home and all of a sudden, oh, what are those bears? Oh, look, it's the bears in the backyard. Hang on. They're coming. Hang on. They're at the door. Oh, my God. They're like, they're coming home. They're coming home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. No, that would, that would, man, we got a raccoon get in the house once years ago when Chloe was about a year old. And so, and that, and that was unnerving. With a raccoon in the house, so I can't even imagine the idea oh, of a bear. Gosh, yeah. um, as you hey, before we do yeah, the show, before we do the show, and we're doing the show right now, anyways, everybody. Someone just texts in to say, and so we'll challenge you. you used to do this on another radio show. Okay. Uh, what does Elf on the Shelf have to do with the Canucks? 
Well, you know, Elf on the Shelf is is one of those opportunities to bring a little festive cheer again, uh, trying to create games and and trying to figure out, you know, where is the elf going to show up? Kind of like the Canucks. And I think the Canucks trying to figure out where will Jake Vertanen show up in the lineup or when will he show up, you know, on a regular basis or consistency over the course of the season? You know, Elf on a Shelf, where is he going to be or where is she going to be from day in, day out? Where's Jake Vertanen going to slot in? Or where is, is he going to show up one day to the next or one game to the next? Hmm? That's okay. Yeah, no, I'm buying yeah. it. Oh, I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. Bring it on. Uh, okay, Donna Spencer from uh, Canadian Press is going to join us here uh, in just a couple of minutes with the World Juniors. Uh, we'll also dive in to, with Ed Jovanovski in an hour as well in your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock. Lots to get to with that as well. Lou Marsh Award yesterday. Man, I... I I hate to say I told you so, but yesterday I I thought it'd be perfect if Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and Alfonso Davies would tie for the Lou Marsh Award. Uh, they did. How do you feel about that? Well, I've unfollowed Arash Madani. Um, <laughs> we had him on yesterday. Arash has been on the, the Tardif train for a long time. Ugh, listen, is it is it the most Canadian thing to do? If Alfonso Davies isn't pissed off, if he's not going to Larry Walker, oh, I lost to a car uh, when Villeneuve beat Walker. Um, listen, I lost to a doctor. I, I think Tardif, if we were to announce the Canadian Citizen of the Year, I would love to have heard his name. I, I still believe the Athlete of the Year is Alfonso Davies. He will win others. Um, it was the Canadian thing to do. I don't agree with it. I think the best athlete to wear a Canadian and represent our country is Alfonso Davies. But if we're looking at the athlete as a whole, what they do 24 hours a day, and then, yeah, I understand why it's there. Um, it was a very Canadian way to settle an issue. I, I, I just I couldn't believe, like, the anger from some people. Uh, to talk about how this award was compromised. Like, Rick Rick Hansen and Wayne Gretzky tied for the award in 83 at a time when, like, Wayne Gretzky rewrote was rewriting the record book for the sport of hockey, you know, 35 years ago. And I, I just wonder, like, were, was there that much venom and vitriol for a great inspirational story like Rick Hansen in 83 to tie Wayne Gretzky? Um, oh, I mean, this is such a unique year. Anyway, we'll get into this a little bit more, um, but let's uh, check in. Uh, we head to Alberta. Um, not that I think a lot of us want to go to Alberta Jeez. right now, based on the numbers. Don't. And you're and you're fr- you got family there as well, Pear. Listen, uh, I, yeah. I I wear a mask when I phone home. Because <laughs> I'm worried about transmission over the phone. Well, we've we've got Donna Spencer from the Canadian Press in quarantine right now, uh, joining us from Calgary. As the uh, they're I think they're still going to try to get the World Juniors off the ground. Spinner, how are you? Spinner, wow. Only people of a certain vintage uh, get the Brian Spinner Spencer reference, but I appreciate it all the same. How well, are you guys? We, we go back. We go back. Like we, we do we go, go back. We traveled. I know. I was trying to remember which world juniors in Europe that you and I covered together for our respective organizations. And I'm going to say 2007 in Sweden and 2008 in the Czech Republic. Yeah. Those, yeah. those, those were the ones, yeah, and part of Bitsa yeah. and uh, and Lexan, Sweden. Uh, yes, good times. They good were, times. yeah, damp, cold, and yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to believe. Like that's been twelve years since those, and and some of those teams. You look uh. back and Carey Price putting on the show in the shootout in Sweden. Yes. But uh, are are we going to get a World Junior moment this year? Based on like, are they still going to 
they're going to pull are they going to pull this off or is there a possibility of pulling the shoot on this at this point now well i think um from a practical standpoint this tournament can happen and it's being operated like um the nhl bubble this summer and there'll be um it's shorter and there'll be fewer people actually in it uh teams walled off from the general public and the pe- general public walled off uh, from the teams. Um, but yeah, right now there's an optics problem and it feels like a bit of an ethics issue too. I mean, op- optically, um, Alberta's numbers have spiked. Uh, that's no, uh, that's not big news, but also, you know, um, NHL players are adult males who were paid very handsomely to enter a bubble. And, um, these are teenage players who are not. So it feels uncomfortable right now. Yeah, Donna, I was watching um, the Alberta Premier yesterday on the news with all the restrictions. And listen, you, you guys go back a long ways to the World Junior. I think the first World Junior, I would, I think maybe in 95 when uh, they were in Red Deer. Not in, um, yeah, that, that I would have kind of had my first taste when they were in Red Deer and, and Edmonton and that. And what you said is exactly that. I'm watching yesterday seeing Alberta lock everything down essentially. And I love hockey and I love tradition, but I'm kind of thinking, you money-hungry SOBs. Like, where are these kids? They don't get a voice. We've known the CHL has kind of had lawsuits in front. And I understand every one of these kids and their parents going, this is their dream to play. But where is someone with a little bit of a moral compass and is not so greedy about money from Hockey Canada going to step up and go, you know what, I just don't think we can do that. Is money trumping? Are these guys now becoming FIFA and the IOC to make sure they can get this done? Well, you're absolutely right. This is a huge moneymaker. I mean, this is a big tournament. And Hockey Canada, the IIHF, are going to um, do everything they can to make it happen. I think, to me, the the, the telltale for, um, you know, whether this tournament should go ahead is if all the countries arrive this Sunday. Um, Yes, you can run, apparently you can run a tournament with um, uh, eight countries, but if a couple countries don't show up, you know, then, you know, you get kind of a sick feeling in your stomach and you're thinking, is it a tournament, you know, that's going to have like integrity and should, you know, these teams be playing for our enjoyment in, you know, in, in this environment? Yeah, it's, it feels really uncomfortable right now. Um, again, from a practical standpoint, it could work because it's worked before. It's just this is a little bit different. Donna Spence from uh, the Canadian Press covering the World Juniors uh, with us here on Sportsnet 650. And, and that's where, like, how, I'm trying to figure out, like, Hockey Canada obviously makes a lot of money from this tournament. But the idea that the NHL was looking, I think it costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $75 million for the two bubbles uh, in Toronto and Edmonton, respectively. Now, Donna, that was over a period of two months. We're looking at a much shorter time frame here. We're only looking at one, you know, one bubble and less teams. Uh, but like, this has still got to cost a lot of money to pull this off. Like, I mean, you know, with no fans in the stands for a junior hockey tournament, I mean, is this all TV money that pays for this, or like, is there a? I mean, are there a lot of sponsors that they've got here to be able to get this off the ground in the province? Um, I think you're right. I mean there would be less money made 
this year because of no fans in the stands. But, um, yeah, television money, sponsorship, um, it's, I mean, it's obviously still worth putting on uh, since it hasn't been cancelled. Um, have they made it? Uh, I saw one article, uh, and again, I don't, I don't want to be ripping into Hockey Canada, but the, I saw some family in Edmonton that said, hey, we spent $3,000 in tickets so we could go to it. We were told we would get money back. Is there a financial issue that, that ticket refunds are having too? I mean, has this become a little bit of a mess for Hockey Canada? Well, it's certainly, um, yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable for them. And um, I'm not uh, sure what their ticket sales policy is. I suspect there's some sort of deferral um, to the tournament held again uh, in Alberta in 2022. Um, there's probably a lot of incentives for, uh, or there are probably incentives offered for people to please don't cash in your tickets, keep them, and you'll get some sort of deal next year. And and then you just kind of keep your fingers crossed and hope that because you know it's a significant deposit or, or what people have certainly paid, and and so going forward, give me a sense of what this actual if they do get it off the ground, uh, five players sent home yesterday unfit to play and and they're kind of going with the same sort of cloak and dagger um, anonymity that the NHL tried to approach within the summer, which. I guess it's one thing from a professional business, but when you're just the governing a hockey organization, I, I feel like that one kind of seems like a bit of a head scratcher for me. Um, you know, when you're you're the governing hockey body for this country and you're not exactly being transparent here. But give me a sense of what this team looks like. Is Canada is Canada the favorite here if they do drop the puck? Well, it's it's so hard to tell right now yeah. because they've hardly played. Like they haven't, you know, they haven't played um, any exhibition games against university teams, and they're not going to. Um, they're going to play a couple, couple of inter-squad games, and then the team's going to be named. And we haven't seen a lot of these players play um, because of, you know, the OHL, the WHL are shut down, and the Q- QMJHL has been on multiple breaks this year. We haven't even really seen any of these players play really difficult to know um um you know what this team is about um and you know um other teams other countries are currently dealing with their own covid cases and sweden's coach and assistant coach have tested positive so what does that mean for sweden um are they coming um they haven't said but you know that's really hard. Are you going to send a team of teenagers over here without their coach and their head coach? You're going to have a promote an assistant coach. Um, yeah, it's, it's complicated right now. Donna, we've been hit over the head in this country that this is a holiday tradition for, you know, for a quarter century. And this is how we get through our Christmas. You, you said you and James, you know, you traveled overseas to follow. I wonder this, like, I think you mentioned Sweden or the Czech Republic. We know what we think of this tournament here in Canada. But is it, is it like that in the Czech Republic? Is it like that in Sweden where everything stops and they're so focused on this tournament? No. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it has a little bit of, you know, if the tournament is held in, we'll say, Finland or Sweden, for example, it has a little bit more tr- public traction just because, you know, they're the host country. But, um, you know, Europe, they're just not as in love with junior hockey as we are here in Canada. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's a reason this tournament is held in Canada so often. Um, it's because it's so popular here. Yeah, and just the crowds uh, and the crowds that that come with it here compared to yeah. you know in the smaller venues, it, it would you know you're looking at venues pair probably more that are in in line with uh, what you see at say the Langley Event Center or the, the you know the Savon Center in in uh, in Victoria and what that yeah. looks like and yeah you get you know yeah. you get decent crowds but it they're not they're not always sellouts uh, and, and what you see from that. Donna, listen, um, stay safe over there. Um, it seems like it's, uh, you know, obviously we're all in this together right now, but you know, obviously with the restrictions now in place in Alberta, it's gotten pretty serious. So you take care over there yeah. and, and happy holidays. Nice to catch up with you, okay? Okay, be well, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Donna. Donna Spencer from uh, Canadian Press uh, on where the World Juniors sit going in with Alberta. Imagine being a small business owner and being told, like, if you've got a restaurant, like, you cannot serve people in your restaurant now and you can only do takeout like and we saw these restrictions here in this province going back in mm-hmm. in the spring pair um you know shutting down businesses like they, you've got malls are only allowed to have 15 percent capacity local businesses uh you know stores 15 percent capacity right you're going to be looking at lineups for people trying to get into stores especially at the, you know the holiday season right now too you're two weeks for christmas and people are you know trying to take care of stuff on the day-to-day and now think of the optics going. Okay, well we're gonna we're gonna fly in Germany and Russia and Sweden and Finland. Like, hey man, do I want to watch the tournament? Absolutely, sure. But yeah. you know, just the optics right now. Um, yeah, in Alberta, like they had more cases than Ontario yesterday, and that's a that's a province a quarter of the size of the province of Ontario. It just seems, as Donna said, there there seems something morally wrong about this. Like, really, you know, what we're saying is, would you like to watch it? Yeah, I, I, I guarantee I'd like to watch it. But what if we're putting these kids in danger? Like, does it make sense for them to play? I don't agree with it at all. Like, I just think, sorry, we, we've lost a whole bunch in 2020. We're not going to force a bunch of teenagers to give us their last couple of weeks of 2020. Go, all right, you, you guys are the launching point for what is fair. You know, we wait for January 13th if that's the situation and when we will see the NHL players who are millionaires who are working. We all know everybody who can still fortunate enough to work. You work through this. You deal with what you have to in your work environment because that's your job. No one's job here. The job of Hockey Canada, it seems right now, is to make money. And the biggest way they make money is to have a World Junior Tournament to have it in Canada. And that's where they are. But to your point, when you see key players from Sweden, a coach from Sweden, assistant coach from Sweden, players from Finland. You see five Canadian players sent home because they're not healthy enough to play. But I'll be damned. We're going to get to Edmonton. We're going to get in that bubble. We're going to try and win a. We're trying to win a, a World Junior Championship and sing the national anthem. To me, it just seems wrong right now. I, I just, I, I hope that someone would step up. And if they're not going to step up, step up and talk. Don't talk like you did yesterday that you're an NHL team and unfit to play and fall behind all this crap. Those are professionals. You're dealing with kids here. This may be their biggest moment, their shining moment. They may never get a paycheck in the NHL. And I just don't know how transparent Hockey Canada is being with everything here. Well, you know, and and here's here's the debate, right? Because Hockey Canada, you know, like, look, there's so many of us that watch the World Juniors. Man, I covered it for six years. Like, it is a huge cash cow, not just for TSN, but for Hockey Canada. Right? And and you've got millions of people. Like, the people that watch the gold medal game every year pair in this country, you're looking at an audience 
when it's a primetime game, it's almost comparable to a Super Bowl, Grey Cup, type, Academy Awards type audience. It is massive. You know, you're looking mm-hmm. at four or five million. If Canada is in the gold medal game of the World Juniors, you're looking at four or five million people that are watching this game across the country. It is a massive number. And it just kind of hits that fever pitch right to the gold medal game. You got millions of people watching these games on Boxing Day. And, you know, you're looking at two, two and a half million people when it's on a primetime broadcast. And then you get into the medal round or the semifinals. And suddenly, like, the numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger. They're huge year after year. This is why Hockey Canada uses this event, the money that it generates, to help pay for other events. Like, this, like the reality, and I, I can understand the dilemma here, because if you lose that money, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that gets impacted over the next year as a result of this not going down. And the other thing, Pear, is this might be the only games that these teenagers are going to play. I, I don't know. I'd be curious. Like, I don't know how many families are willing to say, I don't want my kid to play. You know, I think I think a lot of these kids are at an age where, and, and maybe I'm completely wrong on this. I think a lot of kids are probably like, you know, I'm going to play. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to do it. And I'm not, I'm not afraid because I'll probably be okay in the grand scheme of things, right? And oh, I think if you went to the respective players and families, because of where they are, you know what it takes to get to this level, that they would yeah. say, hey, I'm all in. I do think there's concern. Why did it take so long for local sports to start up again back in the spring? Everyone was trying to figure out with an insurance. Well, what's going to go on with insurance? Who's looking after? We don't know what the results of someone who has COVID-19 might be in 2022, 2023. You know, are there lawsuits that they could be open up for? We live in an era of litigation. If all of a sudden someone plays, catches it there and realizes, hey, this is I've really suffered from this. I'm going after you. It, it's I, I think there's so many questions that Hockey Canada has to have a press conference that's not about hockey. And say, here's what we've looked at. Let's explain it to everybody. You just had the premier of the province. If I'm in Finland and going, hey, is there any news from uh, that Alberta province you're going to? Yeah, they locked it down yesterday, mom. And and you're going there? Like, I do think it it has to be a little more open-ended than it is right now, other than we just got to get to the bubble. If we get to the bubble, we'll be okay. I think there needs to be some more transparency. You just had a premier announce everything last night that shook Alberta, and now you still want a bunch of kids from around the world to come there? You need to talk today, not just about who you're cutting and who's coming. Why you still feel it safe and do it with some health member beside you and, and clear the air for those who have questions. You know, and, and Germany now impacted with another World Junior uh, member who's tested positive for COVID. So, and, and all these teams set to fly into the country coming up this weekend. So they're going to have to make a decision here quickly, but it looks like it's all systems go. All right, 27 minutes after 6 o'clock on this Wednesday morning. He's Perry Selkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Uh, coming up in a moment, uh, why Swiss Army knives might be the most important weapon for the Vancouver Canucks this upcoming season. And our DJ APD here as part of the starting lineup gave us a great idea to play a little game Canuck style this morning. If you could have one Canuck back that has been traded, still active, by the way, who would it be? We'll share our submissions next, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, 6.32 here on this Wednesday morning. 
Getting closer and closer to Santa's big night. Sobalski and Silkowski kicking it with you. And our DJ APD, Art Factora, of our brains behind the scenes here at Sportsnet 650, decided to throw us a, a game. And uh, I guess we both kind of took the bait, if you will, Pear. Well, I mean, uh, it's great of you to say things you never thought you heard in 2020. Great idea, Art Factora. Uh, <laughs> but it was, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it was. It, you know what it did for me, James, is you go back, and we'll explain in a second, it, it forced you to go back and look at, at moves made by this team, and you just thought, man, were the cupboards bare for a long time. Like, it, it's fun to watch the Canucks now. It's fun to talk about potential and where they're going. But, boy, when you go back and say, all right, who did they let go over the last five, six years? You go, wow, wasn't a whole lot here. Um, yeah, but uh, a, a great game to find a Canuck trade, essentially, or someone they moved to say, hey, you could have the mulligan. You could have the golf mulligan and say, I want it back. I want that deal back. So that's what we're asking. Who would you like back in a Canucks uniform? They still got to be an active player. Like, they still yep. have had to have played – you know, in the NHL, you know, and still, you know, offer some sort of, uh, you know, so you can't Make go oh, Pavel Bure. Yeah, you can't go Pavel Bure. You can't, uh, you can't go Alex McGillney, that sort of thing. They got to be able to actually produce, which, you know what, you know, Pavel Bure and Alexander McGillney might be more productive than some players mm-hmm. <laughs> that the Canucks actually traded away over the last seven years since uh, Jim Benning took over as GM. Yeah, you're right. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of product that you would see in the discounted, uh, discontinued bin, I would say, um, when you look at what's what they've unloaded. There's not a lot of heartbreak there. I would say this, Pear. Uh, the one that kind of jumped out at me, he never played a game for the Canucks, but the second-round pick that got away in the Sven Berchi deal turned out to be Rasmus Anderson. That's one that I would look at and say, boy, how would he look in a Canucks uniform? After the Flames have poached all these former Canucks, how would a guy like Rasmus Anderson look on the Canucks uh, back end in that in that in that top six, if you will? On their well, but line? now you're so I I don't like that assumption. You're changing the rules of the game by getting a pick that turned into this player. Like who's to say they would have yeah. thought that's the guy they need? And, and and Anderson never played a game with the Canucks, but. You know, that second round pick turned out to be something. But outside of that. So you've taken the great game idea by Art and you've cheated on it already. I don't know if you, I don't know how you can call that a cheat. Just, uh, well, you just said he had to play for the Canucks and a pick. That's why I just, I just said, I will modify. I'm just tell. I'm just saying, if you look at modified the little marsh for you yesterday, damn it, you want to modify this game? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) You know who mine is? Hmm. I, and again, I, I think your, your analogy of, you know, it's not like, you know, someone else's trash is, is someone's treasure. I, I would take Zach Cassian. And when you look at who the Canucks have moved, every time Zach Cassian moved, it was for a pretty decent player that never worked out. You know, Gagne here, Cody Hodson, you know, guys who were supposed to be something. And I know Zach Cassian was absolutely ripped apart in the bubble because he didn't do anything. And he is just a little bit more consistent, Jake Vertanen. But I do think of Zach Cassian and what he offers as far as being a big winger. Uh, you know, the Michael Ferland you were trying to find would have been filling the void that a Zach Cassian left. He's probably the one guy that's out there that wore this uniform that I would go, if you brought him to this team right now, 
he would, you know, he'd be in that same conversation. Okay, here's another opportunity. You want to play the right side? It's void. You're big. We got some talented centers. He he may always be that guy who's can be red hot for 10 games and then don't see him for a month. But I think Zach Cassian is the guy that I'd love to say, hey, Zach Cassian's coming to camp. We got him back. Mm-hmm. See, Torgan Langley on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 going with Ryan Kessler. And and that's not, you know, can't. I mean, Kessler Torgan, can't play he anymore. Can't He's not playing anymore. That, and that's what we're kind of saying. Still got to be able to play. But I, I hear where you're going, Torgan. Uh, Dan in Fort St. John, uh, I think Benino is the one guy we could really use right now. Solid number three yeah. center would be huge. And you know what? That's the guy that I look at. Like, Cassian – what he's turned out to be, absolutely. But man, oh man, you know, I, I still can't get the images of Zach Cassian was old school Jake Vertanen, right? <laughs> like before oh, Jake Vertanen sure. kind of you know drove this market nuts, it was, you know, it was it was Zach Cassian. I would say Benino would be number one. You know who would be number two on my list on this one? And mm. he didn't play here for a long time in the last years, but man, I thought he fit well and just won a Stanley Cup. Luke Shen. Yeah, um, I, I just question the speed, um, you know, if you could have him. But I thought he was a guy, listen, we all thought you'd keep along with Quinn Hughes, mm-hmm. you know, when they let him go. Um, again, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with uh, with Luke Shen. Uh, Jason and East Van, Jason, uh, that's a guy that I looked at too. But you look at his numbers and he speaks of Jared McCann as to – Jared McCann, boy – Talk about the patience that Travis Green has had with Jake Vertanen. There was not a whole lot of patience with Jared McCann to let him understand what being a pro player is. But you look at McCann's numbers, it's not like they jump out at you. I think every time he does something, you go, wow, that's great. Um, I would probably look, see, if we're talking now, what do you need help with? I would be with you and go, give me Luke Shen. Because you got issues with some size. To me, Cassian fits that better. But you're... You need some depth on that blue line. You got a lot of hope that some young guys without experience are going to step up. I thought Luke Shen, they might have kicked the tires on him after uh, after he. Uh, well, yes, and someone's saying Luke Shen wasn't traded. They just didn't resign him. I, I guess in, in theory, they, they traded for him. They didn't uh, trade him away. He just walked away as uh, as a free agent. So uh, that probably yes. discounts my, my number two. McCann, I still wonder about the attitude. You know, I, I still wonder about the attitude. He's certainly blossomed into a solid NHL player. Um, you know, with Jared McCann, but I, I do wonder that he had such a bad reputation within the room. Um, you know, he was a young player, and you're going back what four or five years ago now. Um, but you, you look at you look at where that is. Um, Torgi going with Tyler Madden as well. Six fifty, six fifty. Get those submissions in. A lot of good submissions already. People love the Canucks, and well, we'll keep the Canucks conversation going with today's edition pair of Seaball says. You know, I was like to take this opportunity. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. Swiss Army Knives. Yeah, if you're a camper or outdoors person, they're imperative. My dad always kept one on his belt. Opened items with it, it, tightened other odds and ends. He unscrewed something. He opened beers, even cleaned his teeth with a Swiss Army Knife. Fact is, as the NHL and players get closer to return, the value of a Swiss Army knife may prove to be essential for many teams, including the Vancouver Canucks. In your depth, you're going to look for guys who know how to play center, know how to play wing, and are capable with their great skating, be able to play D to contribute that way. I think it's it's going to be, you're going to see situations throughout the year of COVID coming in and cleaning out teams of 
four, five, six, seven kind of guys or whatever. That was Todd Bertuzzi on our show yesterday, actually making sense for a change, speaking about the value of diversity once play resumes. Players that can be used in different scenarios may prove to be invaluable. Brian Burke just wrote about this in The Value of Swiss Army Knives in his new book when he assembled his roster for the 2010 U.S. Men's Olympic Hockey Team. Guys who could step in and play multiple spots. And it nearly worked. Berg's squad came an OT goal away from winning gold instead of silver back in 2010. With the short and condensed season, depth will be critical. Players will get hurt, some will simply need rest, and versatility will matter. And think of them something like an athletic handyman. A lot of parents having nightmares hearing that right now. With that in mind, the Canucks could be looking at some unlikely sources that might be major difference makers in a non-traditional season. Now, JT Miller isn't unlikely, but his versatility definitely surprised many last year. Benning's best non-draft move to this point proved to be brilliant in all areas, not only leading the team in scoring, but providing sandpaper and grit. Quinn Hughes, JT Miller shoots and scores! Now, then there's Louis Erickson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to wait for everybody to groan there. Vancouver's version of the cat came back, survived another offseason when the team tried again to move him with no takers to be found. But now in year five of his six-year deal, Erickson's versatility playing a bottom six role, killing penalties, and even skating alongside Bo Horvat might be a necessity for the club rather than exploring an option of burying the 35-year-old in the minors. Pearson, up front for Horvath, across, Erickson scores! Louis Erickson with his first point of the season. Yeah, it's a good point that Louis' uh, stick usually goes where offense dies, but from the where have I heard this before files... Jake Vertanen will also have a chance to show what he can do in the top six, but he spent most of his time in a bottom six role as a Canuck. Shotgun Jake has a lot to prove in 2021, and as much as he might drive this market crazy, he did flirt with 20 goals last season with just over 13 minutes of ice time a game. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the sun, feeling like someone. Jace Howerluck might prove to be the best of this batch here. The Benning management team has coveted the 24-year-old since the 2014 draft, and his one-year deal worth 800000 could prove to be a steal. Howerluck can not only play the middle and the wing, but he's also a tenacious, motorized player as a bottom six player in the National Hockey League, but may finally show his offensive side where he's had success in both junior and the minors. Lead pass, he's got Howerluck on a breakaway, scores again! Petey, Bo, and Huggy must continue being impact players if the Canucks hope to remain playoff performers this season, but they'll also need a few utility tools in a most unique year ahead. And that's this morning's Seaball Says. I don't think there'll be any surprises from a Canuck perspective because everybody here are such great fans. So if Horlack has a great time, oh, yeah, no, they said he'd be a good player. Cole Lynn gets in the lineup and scores. Go, Oh, no, we've been waiting for Cole Lynn. I do think, James, when they start playing hockey in the middle of January, you and I as broadcasters are going to see a lot of nights. We're going to watch highlights of other teams and go, who's he? And he will be that depth guy, right? Going, mm-hmm. who is he? We had a couple goals there. Where's he from? It, it's just trending to be that kind of year. There's no way the starting lineups are remaining intact for what we will see 
in this shortened season. It's just impossible. The odds aren't there. We will see the Swiss Army knife, as you say, on a lot of teams step up on, on nights that will make teams successful. Langley fun guy uh, texting in at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line suggesting, hey, if we're going to need a Swiss Army knife, maybe we should circle back and reacquire Alex Biega, the Bulldog, play every position. Um, so there's a good idea there. All right, 645. Uh, hey, we're going to keep this starting lineup together for another few hours. And in a moment, no BS, just PS next here on Sportsnet 650. It's all P.S. No B.S. right here on the starting lineup. Let's get right to a lot of other things going on in the world of sports. Not B.S. everybody, just P.S. for you. They talk the talk a lot of the times, but yesterday, some of the world's best soccer players in the game's biggest stage, they walked the walk protesting racism. You never say this white guy. You say this guy. So why when you mention a listen to me. Why when you mention a black guy, you have to say this black guy. Say but Romanian language language. Yeah, Paris Saint Germain taking on Bashakshir and the game was suspended after the fourteenth minute because one of the players was ejected, but as you heard one of the, the players talking to the fourth official. He said, why do you say this black guy? Good for them. Walked out. They will replay that game today, James. They will start it at the 14th minute. Boy, soccer, FIFA always have words about racism, and they're the players right then. They heard it, got together, and said, no, listen, you talk about it all the time. This is coming from your official. I heard it. We heard it. We're not playing. Great move. Two things that stood out uh, with that. One, um, months and months after uh, the protests and so many people raising their voices, it's great to see a unified front with those two teams yesterday and the support that PSG showed in that uh, particularly. Uh, the other thing is that how this incident completely overshadowed, you know, a meeting between the two goats right now, right? Lionel Messi and mm -hmm. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, P.S. everyone, thanks to tennis star Carolyn Wozniacki, we now know how they roll at Michael Jordan's exclusive 100-member golf club in Florida. You want a drink and we're playing, James? You want something to eat and we're playing? Just let me know. The drone will fly to you and deliver it to you wherever you are on the golf course. No carts. Jordan's been building this forever. Just opened up. 100 members. Phil Mickelson trying to get in. I think he is in there. But yeah, everything is done by drone. It is uh, called the Grove 23. It's apparently out of this world. And Wozniacki was playing and said, man, look at how they deliver drinks here at Jordan's golf course. Picture of a drone coming down and delivering the food. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like uh, it's not cheap. No. Uh, P.S. You mentioned Ronaldo Messi yesterday. Yeah, Juventus and Ronaldo got the better of him. But here is a bus driver in Portugal during this pandemic letting people know of the rules in Portugal. Have a listen. You have to respect this law if you want to survive in Portugal. Believe me. If you don't agree with me, you have two doors at your right. And the law is simple. Cristiano Ronaldo is the best football player. 
All these people are waiting for, oh, what do we got to do here? What's the law? What's going on? Hey, he was booed when he got off the bus in Barcelona yesterday, but proof was in the pudding yesterday for Ronaldo. Two. Two snipes yesterday. Got it done. And finally, I don't even know, and I'm the one to put it together. Is this PS or BS? Who the hell are you? Harlan Sanders, the new chef. Mario Lopez is Colonel Sanders in a recipe for seduction. Premieres December 13th at noon, only on Lifetime. Presented by Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, that's legit. Mario Lopez is playing Colonel Sanders in a movie. Recipe for seduction. And it's by Kentucky Fried Chicken. I guess Colonel Sanders, like he had a mistress, divorced. He, he sold the company in 73 for a couple million. And Mario Lopez is doing the Colonel Sanders story. Brought to you by Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, Hopefully once a year, cool. pair. Once a year, I will gorge on Dirty Bird. You know, oh. and I, I pour a little bit of the gravy on my macaroni salad, and I got the chicken. Fries aren't what they used to be when it comes to soaking up the no. gravy, but, um, but I tell you, like everyone, what, oh. once a year, and you know what? Here we got what about three weeks left in in 2020, and uh, I have not. You got to get my done. Fix of Dirty oh, Bird, and so. it's so good the next day. I'm with you, and in fact. And you hate to go there very often. I kind of somehow that's kicked me into shake and bake in this COVID time. I've made more shake and bake in the last eight months than I've made in 18 years. But, oh, a little dirty bird, extra crispy. So yeah. good. Shout out to chicken and waffles as well. All right. OBS, man, just BS. <laughs> Shout out to fried chicken everywhere. Five minutes to 7 o'clock. Ed Jovanovski drops by and joins the conversation next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. He'll keep it himself. Up the middle he goes. First down and more. 30-yard line, 20-yard line, and into the end zone untouched. Lamar Jackson. These guys are here to break it all down. All you can do is prepare for anything and expect anything. I have some people sadly were convinced to me that there's no way they're starting on January 13th. I don't know, but they're going to try. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Two minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Wednesday morning. Rise and shine, everybody. Sabalski and Solkowski kicking it with you. Ed Jovanovski is going to jump on board here in just a quick moment. A reminder that this hour of the starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, or Buda Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Mr. Fix-It, Stanley Cup champion Ken Priestley will join us uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, and we'll dive into how do you fix a write-off of a season from a uh, young hockey player's standpoint, which we, so many of us have been impacted. Obviously, we haven't seen Western Hockey League start up. The Quebec Major Juniors shut down. The Ontario League hasn't got off the ground, and we're kind of wondering what's going to happen with the World Juniors here, set to get underway in just a few days from now here, Paris. So that's coming up at 7.30 this morning. Well, and I think, you know, and not just from, a, you know, it's you know, Ken's involved, obviously, was a Stanley Cup winner, but is involved with local coaching, too. And I think every child uh, is sitting and every parent's got, oh, he's got to get on the ice all the time. He's not playing any games. We don't have any tournaments over the holidays. 
uh, that doesn't mean it's a wasted year. So I look forward to that actually conversation going, hey, you can still get better. You don't have to play 67 games. Oh, my kid played 67 games this year. It was a great year. That doesn't necessarily mean it's all about production. So look forward to that conversation with Mr. Fixit. Let's uh, let's bring in the third member of the Ski Patrol, if you will, Ed Jovanoski here on this uh, Wednesday morning. Eddie, how's Florida? Um, morning, guys. It's it woke up this morning taking the kids to school. It was below forty eight Fahrenheit. Ooh, that's so, cold. Little that's... little nippy, little nippy outside. Feels good though. The sun's out. Um, we're going to enjoy the cool weather while it lasts. That's about, uh, I'll do the math. That's about six. We might be warmer than you. You'll warm up right. during the day, Eddie. It could be warmer out here in the West coast than it is for you guys. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's nicer. The ball doesn't fly as far, you know, but, the, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we'll, we'll take it so hot. Usually here we'll enjoy the, the cool weather for, hey. Speaking of the ball, we were just talking about in the uh, in the uh, no BS, just PS, the Michael Jordan golf course. Do you know where that is? Have you heard about that? Yeah, Grove Twenty Three. Yeah. yeah, have you played yeah, it? Uh, I haven't played it yet. Um, but uh, last year, I went to a charity event, um, and I ended up buying a foursome there. I haven't used it yet, but uh, uh, I know a Panther player that uh, joined over there. Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things, and that's all complete now with the uh, with the clubhouse and uh, delivering your your drinks by drone. It's got to be pretty interesting. And it, you, it's not even like a one through eighteen. I guess there's four or five different ways you can play the eighteen holes. Apparently, I don't know. I don't know the details of the course. I, um, you know, I just heard a lot of a lot of good things about it so it'll be interesting yeah. to uh let us know when you want well, let us know when you want james and i to come down and we'll get burnt and we'll complete the foursome <laughs> hey you guys are always welcome i told you that you know eddie i would uh i would love to get down to florida i just don't feel like right now is the right time <laughs> <laughs> hey let oh, me yeah. hey, hey i i'm i'm just finishing up berkey's book here and i i gotta say there was i remember hearing back in the mid-2000s um, there was there was a rumbling, and we talked about this uh, a while ago, that your agent at the time had floated the idea to the Leafs that you and Jay McKee signing there as a package deal, um, kind of mid-2000s, but they ultimately had re-upped with Brian McCabe, so the money wasn't there for that. It, that that's right, right? There, there was... Uh... I don't know the exact details of it. You know, these agents throw shit, garbage out there sometimes. <laughs> what was that? You know, pardon. <laughs> yeah, I felt like it was on uh, like XM radio or something there. Oh, okay. You know, uh, say Podcast. What you say. But no, listen, I, I, I think, you know, things are, things are out there. Um, you know, agents put out there. I, I don't know the, the truth on it. I, I thought, you know, when Brian McCabe, you know, re-signed in, in Toronto really helped, uh, you know, my situation on, on free agency and, um, you know, but it would have been pretty cool here. Uh, you know, have opportunity to play in Toronto, okay. like oh. a lot of teams, a lot of players would say, but. Okay. So um, with that, with that going down though, I, I, I was going to say that, and then to hear in Berkey's book, when he took over in Toronto, he tried to bring you over to the Leafs as well, where, 
he had said that he had offered you a three-year deal, and I guess he said that Phoenix gave you four, and you ultimately took that. I, I'm assuming he meant Florida with that particular year, but were you were you close when Berkey tried to reel you in at that point? And, and man, to look back on how things might have played out, um, I feel like you would have been a guy like you thrived in this market. I feel like you might have thrived in that market as right. well. Uh, you know, when when Florida, how long do you think it took me to accept the four-year deal from Florida? A second. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know Detroit was there. I know Washington was there. Uh, Leafs might have been there. I don't know exactly. It's been it's been forever ago. But you know, when Florida when Florida came by with four years in, and I believe at the time, God, I was thirty five years old. So it's kind of right at that point where, you know. 35 year olds, 34, were not getting four, you know, three, four year deals, you know. So I figured that um, it's an opportunity to come come back to Florida, um, where I started my career, and the team had made you know a bunch of moves. I think at that you know the year, the first year back here, I think we made nine moves where nine different oh. players were in the lineup. When a winner division. You know, lost in the first round to to Jersey. Jersey and seven, in seven, right? Yeah, but, that went in right. overtime too, didn't it, Eddie? It did, yeah. Yeah. You know, so you know, it's one of those opportunities. I think you just kind of make the decision at the time, and I, I felt Florida showing the commitment of four years and and everything that kind of goes around it um, made made the decision easier for me. The the great thing, Eddie, when you you get uh, you know GMs or, or hockey players writing books, you find out how close they were to going somewhere, but it didn't happen. Were you really close at any point in your career to going to a team where you maybe discussed it with the family, and then just someone else came there? No, I had I had a situation, uh, Perry. It actually my first year. This is actually after signing my deal in in uh, in Zona. Uh, so we play the first, we play my first year. I get a call in the summer. Uh, Donnie Maloney uh, said, listen, um, the Rangers, you know, want to trade for you. Will you okay this deal? And I'm like, Donnie, I just signed a five-year deal. My, uh, my house is just finished. I'm living in a rental house for the first year. Can I enjoy my house for one year and then move me? Uh, but anyway, after discussing with the family, I, I kind of went ahead and said, okay, listen, I'll accept the move, you know, to, to New York. And then a uh, day went by and Donnie had called back and said, listen, we're, we're not, we're not going to move you. And that didn't end up happening, but it was a scary situation with, you know, with four, four young kids, you know, going to, you know, coming from Vancouver, going to Phoenix and now going to the, to the busy times in New York city. Uh, would have been different, but ultimately kind of okayed it, but didn't come to fruition. So you had a no trade, Eddie? Like, I, had a no, I had a no trade, yeah. That startle you that after one year, they're calling and say, hey, do you, we want to move you? A little bit. You know, you, you, uh, you sign a guy to a five-year deal and, and um, you know, you think that the team is going to somewhat on the back end build around you. And and that ended up being the case, Uh you know, but yeah, I mean, you're, you start to wonder like, cause that, that's exactly my point on agreeing to the, you know, trade say, listen, okay, these guys want to move me. What's the rest of my time in, in, in Arizona going to look like, um, yeah. if I said no. So, 
uh, I needed a couple days to really kind of think it over. And then ultimately I, I figured going to, uh, to a big market, um, you know, was, was something I was looking forward to, but, uh, ultimately it just didn't happen. Huh. Ed Jovanoski here, uh, going down memory lane here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you look at what's happening now. Uh, it, it sounds like there's steps in the right direction with the NHL and the players where the economic framework is kind of taken care of, kind of, sort of. Um, but at the same time, you know, we were talking to Bert yesterday. I thought Bert actually made some sense for uh, for a brief moment uh, where he, he talked about the importance of depth going into – you know, a shortened season this year where, Eddie, it sounds like games are going to be tightly condensed. Um, but guys who, who have that versatility, who can play up and down the lineup, these guys might be critical to a team's success this year. Do, do you kind of buy what Bert's selling on that one? I, I, I do. And, and, and you look at a lot of teams that have success, success guys, I think it's, you know, they have that depth in the lineup. I mean, there's, there's someone who goes down, it's that next man up mentality. And who knows how, what this is going to look like, right, with, you know, with the COVID and, you know, guys going. I don't know how tightly these guys are going to be monitored as far as coming in and out of the rink. So you're going to have to have that versatility, I think, throughout your lineup where you're going to have to kind of make, you know, adjustments on the fly. And I don't know exactly, you know, I, I read something. I don't know clearly how it's going to play out as far as kind of a taxi squad. Because you just don't know kind of what this is going to look like moving forward. Eddie, we had the conversation as we waited in June for hockey to start. And we would, you know, what you said there could have been applicable to back in the summer. I don't know what this hockey is going to look like. It's going to be strange. These guys have been away for three months. Um, and then I think we were all surprised at how quickly they got back and it was good hockey. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like we're going to be in a situation where teams get together on the third have essentially 10 days of training camp, and then they go. No preseason, no anything, and we know players are going to be in situations where there's going to be positive tests. They're now traveling. Do you think this year's Stanley Cup champion might be more uh, a, a stranger winner than we saw in the bubble where, you know, arguably the best team in the league, Tampa Bay, deservedly won a Stanley Cup, that the journey to get there is going to be more unique this year than we saw last year in the bubble? It well could be. I, I think when you look at kind of the other sports that are, are doing the no bubble and, and you're getting games that are being moved, by, you know, multiple, you know, positive uh, tests coming across. Uh, but one thing I got I to gotta say about hockey is I, I think the guys are really going to be careful. I think they're, they're going to they're gonna be put in a position or they're going to be told, hey, listen, hey, guys, uh, not only for yourself, but your your kind of letting your your group down by kind of exposing yourself in situations that you know shouldn't be and you know let's suck it up again you know as best as we can um moving forward where you kind of give your team the best opportunity to win but it could be strange it could be harder because what are the exact rules that our teams are going to put on players is it's kind of hard to say okay listen you're going to come to the rink you're going to go home and you're going to kind of stay put. You're going to come back to the rink, you know, with kids and everything, you know, I think there's, you know, something's going <laughs> to, something's going to happen where, you know, you look back and say, you know, there was, there was positives test in here, but um, it, it could be, it's going to be another one of those seasons where, 
you know, you just hope and cross your fingers that everything goes well. And I think the NHL did a remarkable job, you know, last season kind of handling things. And I think they're going to give the best advice to these players um, moving forward to, to be in the best position to stay healthy and play all their games. But uh, Perry, yeah, it could be one of those seasons where, you know, you look at the end again, it's going to be a, you know, one of those ones is how do they got through and, and, and winning the Stanley cup uh, could look different again. You, um, you look at, and, and hockey Canada hoping to take advantage of that same bubble benefit um, for the world juniors. And they're still going to try to get this off the ground, despite a lot of the issues and, you know, COVID positive tests that a lot of the teams and countries around the world have been dealing with before they all fly in here. You played in the World Juniors, what, 25 years ago? It's hard to believe it's been that long. In now. Red Deer. In, in Red Deer, that's right. And yes. I, look, yeah. I, I would have covered that tournament. I look at that roster, Eddie, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, you won an Olympic gold medal. How did the World Junior experience compare? Like, I'm looking at this roster. There are a lot of guys that didn't necessarily pan out. Alexander Dagg on that roster. Uh, but, man, there were some mouthpieces on that team, like, Jeff O'Neill was part of that team. Todd Harvey, Darcy Tucker, you know Brian McCabe, Jamie Rivers. Like there were some personalities yeah. on that group. That was the lockout year. Yes, it was. was yeah, yeah, it was the lockout year. So we um, a lot of the players had uh, you know come back and had the opportunity to play. You know, for for Canada and the World Juniors, and it was being in in, in Red Deer on our home soil. So made it even more special but yeah that that team was uh was a, a great team coached by don hay um it was before so we had won the gold. i i want to say we won the gold medal before our last game so i'm glad to kind of change the rules on that we ended up sweeping everybody and and i think our biggest square was uh uh czechoslovakia where we won six, five in, in a, one of those crazy games. Uh, but yeah, I hope, hope things, uh, you know, get going here in, in uh, Alberta here, the numbers are, are going crazy there. So yeah. hopefully they can get it through. It's a great tournament. Yeah, I know we had a discussion on there. I mean, it's just a matter of other teams supposed to show up this weekend. And I don't know. I, I think, uh, Hey, I love what it represents for this country, but right now where we're at, I'm not sure. Uh, we should be there. I want to ask you this. You know, we've been asking some people. We're, we're letting them have mulligans on the Vancouver Canucks and saying, hey, which player would you like back if you could take a trade back? You know, would you rather have Zach Cassian in uniform? And you want a player in the NHL playing now. Is there any player that you, a teammate of yours that was traded where you just say, oh, man, uh, you don't realize how that went wrong. If you could have a do-over as a guy on a, on a team going, we should have never moved that guy. Nothing against the player you got in right. return. It it has to be in Vancouver or anywhere. Anywhere. So my uh, my second year in Florida, we moved Stu Barnes for mm. Chris Wells. You remember that trade? I remember Stu well, Barnes, I... who had a very good career and played. He was great with the Stars after right. that too. Yeah, right. And the Sabers. Um, you know, Wells, you being a first round pick in in uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, big boy, but I, I think, you know, Stu Barnes was, you know, a real leader on our team. And, um, you know, as a young player, you don't really read into too much of that, but, you know, for me to kind of look back, I remember looking back at the end of that year and going, boy, we, we really missed him. 
Um, so that was that's one that's one that I I look back at and say, um, you know, wish could, you know, they never made that trade. What about in a Canuck uniform? The one guy oh, that left. God. I I can't think of tough. You want to? Well, no. Were you ever to... were you ever involved as you became more of a leader? I mean, the brash the brash trade was tough. You know, I think we discussed that one before on air. I, I think you know losing a big you know popular guy, uh, a tough guy, really did everything to protect his teammates. Um, so that was always one you look back. You always use one of those guys on your on your team where you know things don't get too out of control because they're gonna have to deal with him so that was always a tough trade thank you for this uh i'll work on the game grove 23 we'll talk to bert and uh it'll be fun hey by the way what's going on in vancouver with singing the national anthem these days <laughs> can you sing? And by the way here's my here's my world junior <laughs> kind of switching I had two goals in 14 seconds versus Germany in the World uh, Junior, and Di- Don Hay didn't play me rest of the game. What? Go figure. What? Yeah, I wasn't a Western kid. You know, I played in the O. All of, his whole back end was from the Western League. Bomber was on that team. Bomber. So you get two, you get two goals in the in what like the first period or or in the first couple? I, I, I think it was the first period. I had two goals in 14 seconds and rode pine the rest of the game. I'm I was kidding. a little kid on the team, you know. I was a little baby. Or you know, what were the, what were your teammates saying at the time? Like they didn't care; they were playing. Yeah, <laughs> there was a veteran. It was a veteran team that year, right? Because it, it there was. were a lot of guys. There it were a lot was. of guys. There were a lot of guys. I had, that I had were... a little bit of credential behind my name. Well, you were a first overall pick. I was a first pick. So come on, man. <laughs> that's a let's pretty good. To, let's get let's good. get Don. Let's whatever, get Don Hay on the show happened with you. To, I'm looking at that roster, guys. Chad Allen, why does that Chad name not ring a bell? Yeah, Lee Sorokin, um, Wade Redden. Yeah, Redden was only 17 kid. at that time. Uh, Delta firefighter uh, Dennis Peters Pedersen is on that team. Yeah. Uh, Langley. Who was the other? Who was the other guys on the back end? We named a few of them. Jamie Rivers. Jamie Rivers. Nolan Baumgartner, Lee yeah. Sorokin, Chad Allen's the name I don't recognize. Yeah. A steady defenseman. A lot of grit up front, though. Like a lot of a lot of grit yeah. up front on that roster. Where uh, yeah, it was had, a great uh, team. Jason Allison, you know, Harv, Eric Eric Daze, big body. Eric Sean Daze Donovan could score. My yeah. God, Donovan was a solid, you know, just a solid checker for years in the right. uh, with the Sharks. Ottawa Jeff, boy, eh? Seaball? yeah, you know Ottawa it. Sixty sevens, you know it. Jesus. Uh, Jeff Fries, <laughs> you're you're salty <laughs> this morning. I like it. Uh, Jeff Fries, Todd Harvey, Marty Murray, yeah. Ryan Smith, you know Larry uh, Corville. Friesen? Yeah, Freezy. Uh, yeah, Freezy was there. Scored yeah. that. Uh, Eddie Darcy Tucker. Darcy Tucker was there. I'll tell you one thing, Eddie. If you had a 1995 reunion and you guys were swapping stories, looking at that group, you're the only one who'd say, "Yeah, I'm going to play the Grove 23." <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what my conversation with Darcy Tucker would be, but we had some. We had some nice. We had some nice exchanges throughout our career. A po- in a, in a positive or a salty way there, uh, Joe? Yes. You know, a little bit of both. His brother-in-law <laughs> chased me in the locker room once in, in Shane Vancouver. Shane Corson? Shane Corson. What Chased you into the locker room? What? Yeah. Yeah, we got into it on the ice. Uh, probably said some things that I probably wouldn't say today. 
Um, <laughs> and then uh, I got I was got kicked out. I think I got a, you know two five and ten. I was in the locker room next. You know, horses flying into the locker room. Or and we we went at it in in our Canucks locker room. And I in think the room, got one game you got one game suspension from that. Come on, didn't you guys cover Vancouver sports when I was there? Trying yeah. to forget. How do I yeah, not remember? I don't, I don't that. remember these. Like, I don't remember that story. Wow. And you actually yeah. got into a fight. Yeah, we we fought in the locker room. Broken up by who? Uh, the security guards that were draped on his back while he was trying to run in the locker room. Corson was tough too. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is good stuff, buddy. You guys should charge for these stories. Gosh. <laughs> Eddie, I would have been traveling with you. Just another great, just another great moment that I would have covered that I forgot. Right. Well, you know what? It was you know, course, and I have, uh, have you seen up? each other since. Yeah. You know, sometimes you know you say things on the ice that you just think about later, like why did I even go there, and and vice versa. You know, you get it, you get it, you dish it. Um, you know, but like I said before, hockey players, you can get into it and then go have a beer and everything's good. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll i say this. Like, I mean, Corson had a bit of a reputation to begin with. But you know what? Uh, Greg Ballack actually has the audio for this. Greg, do, do you have that? Can we share this with the uh, – is it a different fight? You and Corson got into it another time here. Listen to this here, Eddie. <laughs> and they start throwing, and Corson gets in a couple of big rights, but Jovanovski's got some steam behind his, and they are tossing him. Another, the third fight in this hockey game. And Corson's had a lot of those in his career. He, like, Corson was a tough guy. Like, was that was yeah. that after the fact? Like, was that a return match or was that before? Uh, I, it, it it might it might have been. I I know I fought I fought Corse and Tucker in the same game. Because they're related in the family. <laughs> really? Yeah. Hey, James. Yeah. Now you know. Now you know. <laughs> well, now you know. Well, on that note, um, great stories, man. Uh, you take care yeah. over there. Uh, nice to catch up and uh, looking forward to the next memory lane with you here in uh, next week. All right, fellas. Talk to you next week. Great stuff. See you, Eddie. I, I guess uh, no uh, Christmas cards from the uh, Tucker and Corson household for uh, for Eddie there uh, coming up this year. You know, uh, Eddie with more hockey skill, but similar players, those two guys, right? I mean, there's just a lot of passion, Corson doing everything to win. Corson Kors, was in Edmonton, whatever, he kind of he ruined that dressing room, man. It was Shane's Corson's way to go. You know, uh, there yeah. was, and, and it's, you know, it's funny. Tra- Travis Green was part of that clique with Tucker and Corson in Toronto, and um, that was kind of seen as a bit of a faction at one time. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Travis obviously has come a long way since, but that was always kind of seen as a little cliquish and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say trouble, but it was, it was a group that people, like, were mindful of. At that time, you go back to Travis's. Uh, you know, he's only in Toronto whatever, for for a brief period, but yeah, no, it was mm-hmm. suspended. Corson was suspended six games during the ninety eight ninety nine season for hitting Ed Jovanovski in the face with a stick. Later, entering opposing team's dressing room 
March 27th, 1998, and a game in Vancouver. Corson had been thrown out of the game in the third for attempting to injure Jovanovski, injure Jovanovski, which carried an automatic one game. After the game, he attempted to talk to Jovanovski in the dressing room in violation, attempted to talk to Jovanovski, violation of the league rules. Corson claimed Jovanovski had provoked him to pursue him after the game by yelling derogatory comments about one of Corson's family members while both players were in the penalty box. Huh. There you go. Oh, I, and I, I was traveling with the team at the time, and I can't remember. Well, as they say, marijuana affects the memory there over the years. So. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> 27 minutes after 7 o'clock. Uh, what do you do with a lost hockey season for a lot of people who are trying to figure out what to do with their kids? We'll, ta- we'll try to fix it with Mr. Fix it. Ken Priestley, Stanley Cup winner from Dunbar Lumber, joins us next year on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. It's time for Mr. Fix-It, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Now, here's Ken Priestley. 7.33, Sobalski, Solkowski. Um, man, oh man, some good stories there from Eddie this morning there, Bear. Oh, he he was fantastic. You know, it's it's funny. I I think a guy like like how about the New York Rangers story? You're a year in. You leave Vancouver. You're a year into Arizona. You get that phone call to go. Hey, do you want to go to the Rangers? I looked at that Rangers team. I think Eddie made the better decision to hang out in Arizona. But it wouldn't be any different than Oliver Ekman Larson this summer, right? You're there, and all of a sudden, all you hear for two weeks is your name, going to Vancouver, going to Vancouver, and you don't. Um. Hey, Eddie Jovanovski can play hockey anywhere. He was that good. Loved the limelight in uh, Vancouver. Listen, he, he played in the great places to relax and wear shorts to the rink in Arizona and Florida. Eddie would have thrived in New York, though, too, man. He was not shy of the spotlight. He's got so many stories. He's just like, I don't know. Do you find that interesting? Corson came flying after me. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, Vic and Suri texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. That's 650-650. Best decision you all made was bringing Jovocop, Bertuzzi, and Bert to the morning show. Took way too long to build that legacy connection that the Haves and Leafs have had for decades. So, yeah, you know what? We enjoy the stories and uh, interacting with uh, those guys. And, and you know what? There's I'm always amazed at how many people I've talked to since we launched the station and since they've been part of the family. Um you know what those guys, all three of them, meant to this uh, to this market, to this franchise. I mean, Bert was an absolute rock star. Uh, Eddie was as well, and 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 Brian was. You know, he was the the king of the castle at one time, and and built a really exciting team in those early 2000s. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate the uh, feedback there, Vic. We enjoy having them part of the family here too. Uh, 7.35 pair. Um, you know, it's it's been kind of a lost year in a lot of ways for a lot of kids playing youth sports. I think for a lot of beer leaguers as well. Uh, they're trying to figure out ways to get the World Juniors, and they're going to try to pull it off here still in the province of Alberta, which is just absolutely reeling right now with some heavy restrictions imposed yesterday by the province. But, you know, what do you do with a lost year from a minor hockey standpoint? I think a lot of parents are trying to figure that out. I think a lot of kids are trying to figure that out. And joining us, uh, Mr. Fixit from Dunbar Lumber, Stanley Cup champion, Ken Priestley, who's uh, who's been a coach, he's been a player, he's hoisted the cup of Mario and Yager, and he's with us here this morning as well. Man, like you got you know, like one group of rock stars to the next, right? Salkowski, Sabalski, Lemieux, Yager, it all just kind of blends in together, right, Ken? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it all comes off the tongue so smoothly, doesn't it? See, Ken, like Perry, he's good for our ego. 
Yeah, well, no, no, you know, yeah. I, Ken, and I don't know if you heard Jovo talking about Shane Corson running at the room against, running into the locker room afterwards and, and them going at it in the Canucks locker room. But I remember you telling James and I a story. Who did you, did you hit Cam Neely once? And there was no running into the locker room, but did you not hit Cam Neely once? You thought, oh man, next time we pay Boston, I'm going to have to pay the price. Oh yeah, that was that's a true story, and that's a, that's I have to thank Scott Arneal for uh, for coming in very quickly and responding to uh, whatever Cam was going to lay on to me. <laughs> that was uh, one of the most frightening players uh, that I ever had a chance to play against, and uh, yeah, unfortunately in Buffalo one night, uh, my stick got a little high and caught the the nose of Cam Neely, and the next night we were playing in Boston, and and I think he was going to let me know that he knew. That was my stick that uh, that hit his nose. So, yeah, unfortunate accident, but uh, nonetheless, he was uh, he was looking for a little bit of payback. You're dead. I'll kill you. Um, you uh, you've coached uh, in addition to uh, playing uh, not only overseas but playing in the National Hockey League, the minors. You've kind of seen it from all levels, but you, you've seen it also from a coach's perspective as well. And you still uh, involve yourself uh, coaching here in minor hockey uh, in your neck of the woods in South Delta. What do you do with a lost year for kids here, Ken? How do you fix it? Uh, you know what? I you, I don't even really know. Like it's, it's day by day, right? We we go sometimes. We started off as a normal season, meaning normal, meaning we went for uh, for your tryouts in September, and uh, you know the kids came out and and they had limited kids on the ice. Uh, they were limited contact, so. Um, it was different right from the start. And, uh, you know, once we got into the team being finalized and, 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 and maybe a, a thought of a couple of exhibition games in the background, you were still able to prepare your team for, for something that was going to be a little bit of normal. But uh, that, soon, that soon went south right like we 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 went to seven guys on the ice we went to 10 guys on the ice we went to two meters apart we went to three meters apart like it was just very very difficult in a sport like hockey to be able to to do anything that isn't contact and uh you know the kids um at my level which is u18 that's what they like about the game i mean they all like the skill and 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 the scoring and all that kind of stuff but they really do embrace the contact and that's that's just something that is at u18 level is a big part of the game sometimes that you can see the the most beautiful goal and one-on-one situations or you know deeks back whatever you whatever you get but the biggest thing that draws the biggest reaction is is a is an open ice hit or a hit along the boards so when you when you take contact out of the game it's it's difficult but um you know, with with our managers and our safety people and and all that kind of stuff going forward, they've they've given the coaching staff. And at one time it was just me. You know, it's back to you know maybe two at a time here now, so that we can at least split the group up a little bit. And uh, you know, you still have to have your six feet apart or your three meters apart. Um, we're playing little give and go games. Uh, we're giving little, little treats at the end, if you want to call it, uh, we play shootouts for cheeseburgers and fries and milkshakes. And so there's a little bit of competition in there, but we're just trying to make it fun. We, we got no games, none whatsoever. And this is what we have 
to go with. And um, we're just trying to make these kids at least get something out of their hockey, which they, they've all told us that they still want to come to do and they love it and, and it gives them a break from normal. Ken, I, I think, and I guess I have a problem. I know it's, you know, we call it the lost year. And I can understand it if you're dealing with the U18s. Hey, they've, they've done all their power skating. They, they know how to play the game. It's kind of fun to, to lay some bodies on some other guys. They're in the weight room, and probably it's, it's nice to, to put a guy down on the ice. But if, if your player is, is six or seven or eight years old, uh, I'm one who doesn't think they have to play 40 games a year to get better. Do you not think just because these kids might be working even more and more and they're skating because they can't play all the games on the weekend that, you know, some may look at 2020 and go, actually, from a development standpoint, I'm now a better skater than I would be if I'm not getting this much ice time because we're playing games and maybe I'm a guy that doesn't get as much ice time. There can be a, a silver lining for some, do you not think? Oh, I 100 percent. I agree. Uh, it all depends on the age group that you're that you're coaching. Right, like the the little guys, the, the initiation levels, and 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 that the, they they need that. They just want to get in the ice. They just want to fall down, get back up, stick handle, do whatever they want to do. I mean, yes, for sure, they they are going to improve tenfold with all the with all the drills and the skill development that they get. There's no question about it. Um, the the older kids, where, where the there's all this. Uh, the game is the, the focal point. That's where you're going to see. And, and I, I still think that even at the academy levels, I mean, they're still yeah. playing as far as I know, right? They're still driven athletes that, that can compete during practices and, and can compete during a game. Whereas sometimes the, the, just the association level guys, and again, I'm speaking at the U18 level is I've got three age groups. I got 15, 16, and 17, and 15 still has two more years left. You know, 16 has another year left, and the 18s, though, or the 17s, those guys, this is their last year. Some of them will go on and play juvenile. Some of them may get a shot at playing junior B. But that's a, that's a tough spot to put someone in, in that age group into. But, Perry, like you say, the, the younger kids – the coaches are going to do a fantastic job at, at giving these kids tons of opportunity to improve their stick handling, their shooting, their passing, their skating, their edge work, everything. I mean, it's going to be, you're right in saying that, uh, yes, the kids will improve. Uh, you know, if they, if they put the time in and then the coaches put the time in, there's a lot to learn from it for sure. And uh, there's also lots to lose from it for sure. Yeah, I think, I think the three-letter word that you stress there as well is keep it fun. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I think that's an important one there. Ken, always appreciate the conversation. You stay safe out there. And it uh, looks like you got a lot of good deals going on at Dunbar Lumber right now. So uh, probably a good time to get on over there for the holidays. Yeah, it's a, it's a good opportunity for us. we got our 25% off sale going now for, uh, for everything in the store and tools at cost. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And uh, we're looking forward to our little break at, during Christmas time. But, uh, yeah, you guys stay safe. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week. Sounds good. There he is, Mr. Fixit. Okay. Uh, Ken Priestley from Dunbar Lumber, the uh, smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner or Buter Street in Vancouver or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Your Canucks commute coming your way at 8 o'clock. Uh, much more to get into with that, plus the Lou Marsh Award. It was a tie yesterday. Most people hate ties. It was the best tie ever, I feel like, in 2020. We'll get into that next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, 749 on this uh, Wednesday morning. James and Perry kicking it with you. Uh, showers in the forecast uh, this morning, uh, high of nine for the day. Per, uh, this was yesterday. Before we got the definitive word of the Lou Marsh Award, you and I were talking about who might win, and here is what the handsome uh, co-host of the starting lineup had to say with respect to where this could ultimately land when the decision was announced later in the day. Is it a cop-out in a year with those two guys? And I guess, you know, in some respect, oh, that's so Canadian. But, like, honestly, for this year, for those two guys to share with what they meant and what they've done, I mean, honestly, like Alfonso Davies, and, and um, mark my words, this will not be the first time we have a conversation about Alfonso Davies in the conversation for the Lou Marsh Award. Over the next 10 years, I, I'm going to guess that he's going to win multiple Lou Marsh Awards based on what we're seeing from his abilities. But this is probably the one year that we'll see Laurent Duvernay-Tardif in the conversation for the Lou Marsh Award, if I could guess. A tie. A tie. Yeah, I think we cut you off there that you did actually say you should have a tie. Yeah, and I saw that yesterday morning, and I just cringed, going, oh, damn you, Sabalski, you got it right. <laughs> very, very Canadian. I, I, I disagree with the decision. And by disagreeing, it is not a slight. I would love to have Tardif as my neighbor. I would. He, the guy's a great guy. I just think uh, athlete of the year. It's not like he had a good season in the NHL. It's not like Alfonso won a U.S. Open or anything. He is one of the best players in the world in the one sport that globally dominates sports. Everybody plays soccer, and a Canadian is one of the best left backs you can find on the team that won the biggest trophy ever. He is your athlete of the year. Give Tardif a citizen of the year if there's such an award before January 1st rolls around. Not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it was, oh, that's the easy way out. Why do we take the easy way out? Because we don't want to offend. But, you know, part of part of Alfonso Davies' story that so many shared is the journey off the pitch as well, Pear. And exactly. I think that, but I also think that, look, I mean, you're sitting there and you're prioritizing one over the other. And what, what, what is more important? Look, Alfonso Davies made history. I get that. I totally agree. But to also see what Laurent Duvernay-Tardif did this year as well, he also made history. And he did something at a time like, man, the craziest year in our lifetime is 2020. And this is where I found people kind of crapping on, on one athlete or the other here in this decision. Look, Alfonso Davies, his journey in terms of off the pitch to become what he is now is just as incredible. But I'd also say this. The NFL is a $15 billion a year league. It's the biggest sports league on the planet. The Bundesliga generates $4 billion a year. Like, it is a big soccer league, but it's still small potatoes compared to the enormity of the National Football League. And this guy, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, was a starting right guard on the best team in the biggest league in the world. And I get that you can say that soccer is the most played sport on the planet. And yes, the Champions League, you take all the great teams in all the leagues. But I'm telling you, 
You can take La Liga, you can take the Premiership, you can take the Bundesliga, and when you look at the revenue that all those leagues generate, none of them come even half as close as the money that the National Football League generates annually. So it's the biggest league in the world, and a Canadian was a starting right guard on the best team in that league that generates $15 billion a year. I think people overlook that in terms of that accomplishment when people want to say, well, soccer's played by more people globally. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif was the best in the biggest and the best league on the planet. Yeah, how much are they missing him this year? Do you don't think right. that? But you don't, but if, you don't think you that. Take, you don't think Bayern a, Munich. You don't think Bayern really Munich. Athlete who's th- twenty years old. Give me a really good athlete who's twenty years old and say you're about to play left league and the Bundesliga in the top soccer world. Like, Holy smokes, I can't do that. And give me that same athlete and go. Okay, so you're about to play offensive lineman. Well, I don't know how to do this. Just stand there and try and get in the way of someone else. And I'm not minimizing. I think offensive linemen are the smartest and the nicest guys around. But from an athletic perspective, what Alfonso does at his level, Duvarde is fantastic. He can be replaced. He's not the best at his position. Um, Alfonso is one of the best in the world at his position. And you can cancel off what he does as a doctor to the story of a refugee status and coming to Canada. I, I Listen, I don't have a problem with the fact that they gave him both. Uh, I just thought if you really want to say who the best Canadian athlete was, Unfortunately, in other years, you could go, you're a Super Bowl champ. I don't even care about COVID. You should be considered because you're a Super Bowl champ on the best team in the world. You make $40 million, Your contract's worth $46 million, I believe. That's great. You're in consideration. If Alfonso Davis is sitting on the bench and playing part-time for Bayern Munich, he's not in the conversation. Give it to Laurent. But Alfonso Davis did something that no Canadian has ever done and no Canadian, I think, for the most part, thought would ever, ever happen. And he achieved it. He's my winner. I look. I I don't want to sit here and and rain on either one of these athletic accomplishments because no, they were both I. the best. But but at the same time, like here's the other thing: Laurent Duvernay Tardif came from McGill University. He didn't come from Oklahoma. He didn't come from Florida. He didn't come from Alabama and LSU. That guy from came mm-hmm. from a Canadian university and jumped in to become a starter in the National Football League. Dude, those are unicorns. Like how many Canadian university players go from going from the from U Sports, CIS, Can West for that matter, and jump into yeah. the National Football League and become a starter. And how about Larry Walker? How Larry Walker loses to a car. Well, you know why? Because a Canadian doesn't do that in Formula One. That's no. some heard of what Villeneuve did. But it's a Canadian yeah. doing a global game. Yeah. I'll uh, tell you, man, I, I, I hear you. I, I understand you know, where people might be frustrated, but man, I, I just think that it's how do you sit there and complain about the idea of it being a tie this year for what both those guys did? I mean, you could do a movie about what Laurent Duvernay Tardif did in 2020. And and I think Alfonso <laughs> Davies might be a, that, and that might be a movie as well one day down the road. I love this text. I would like to know how many of the 18 votes from LDT came from Quebec. Also curious if someone didn't vote for Davis because he wasn't born in Canada. There's a conspiracy no. to the Lou Mars twenty. No, but I will say hey. this: the Lou Mars, the Lou Marsh Award is is a Toronto Star Award, and and it is over, it is heavily, heavily saturated. I think you know what it got too much attention. I think nationally, because it's a, it's a Toronto Award. I mean, there's one there's one voice in British Columbia that voted of that. You know, of the of the thirty seven people that took part. 
There was one from British Columbia, and that's Karen Larson from CBC. So, I mean, I, yeah. I think in terms of representation, it is it is more of a largely Toronto-centric award. Uh, so you can also debate the the merits and, and this the validity of, you know, listen, there's some of the best sports voices in the country that, that voted on it. You know, Elliot Friedman, Bruce Arthur, David Amber. Uh, you know, there's some really, really credible, credible people that, that lent their voice to it. But at the same time, it is horribly re- horribly represented across the country as well. That, that I'll say. Yeah. Dunbar uh, text line. Uh, appropriately, it's the Dunbar lumber because you're getting nailed. They are hammering on you right now. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, James, you, you white caps fans. Half the people listening to you right now have no idea. When you mention Laurent Davis, played the biggest sport in the world on the best team in the world, NFL on a global stage doesn't even come close to soccer. Gmas. You're right. Oh, look, You're right. again, Sorry, I, again, I don't want to sit here. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to crap on either one of these, right? Like, these are incredible stories. But, I, you know, but people are also crapping on Laurent DuVernay-Tardif for being as part of this award, and I think it's unfair. Uh, we can continue this more in the 8 o'clock hour. We're up against the clock. Your Canucks commute coming up next. I love ties here on Sportsnet 650. A cup of joe and the Canuck commute. His athletic ability is is kind of off the chart. You, you watch his skating ability. He's transitioning the puck out of the D zone to the offensive zone with his skating ability is a huge, huge asset for any team. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. All right, it's your Canucks commute. Uh, four minutes after 8 o'clock, hour number three on this uh, Wednesday morning. Um, and we'll try to read some of these texts I'm getting absolutely ratioed on here this morning uh, there, Pear. Um, I guess a little You're bit. You're right. Of, you, Listen, I don't think it's wrong that you have a great appreciation for uh, what uh, Divan Artardif did, but uh, it's just Alfonso Davies. I, I just I don't know if the average fan can grasp what he has done. The kid just, you know, he's such a nice young man, and he's doing it away. And if you're not watching soccer on Saturdays or you're not watching Champions League, you're just unaware that that's that's not normal. It's not the norm, and maybe it we should be because we see a. Um, you know, we, we see a U.S. Open champion. We watch Shapovalov. We watch golf now. We'll watch the U.S. Open for the women. And Brooke Henderson tomorrow will have a chance at winning it. So many good young Canadian athletes. We've never been in this situation, but no one has ever done what Alfonso's done, and he should be your athlete of the year. Uh, it is your Canucks commute, and um, I do want to – we started playing a game earlier this morning at the uh, suggestion mm-hmm. of one of the rare good ideas from DJ APD Art Factora near behind oh, the scenes. He was running out of time in 2020. He had like two weeks left, and he came up with it. Yeah, and he finally was like, hey, Eureka. And like, oh, okay. And a lot of people have joined us on the conversation um, on, uh, on Twitter, at Sportsnet650 as well, uh, asking you, you know, if if you could bring back a player that the Canucks traded away, that you could that still is an active player, who would it yeah, be? He's playing in the league, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not, so you don't think Cam Neely? Don't think you know? Uh, let's bring back Pavel Bure. No, we're we're taking those out of the equation, right? We're talking about guys who who could be part of that mix now, and so names like um, Nick Goldobin, you know, um, or. You know, how about Nick Dowd or Michael Delzato or Brandon Leipzig? They traded away Nick Benino, Jared McCann, Erica Branson, uh, Zach Hassian. You know, you look at some of those names that have since been been moved. Um, 
And yeah, you've, uh, essentially, we're avoiding a trade. Yes. Avoiding a trade in the last five, ten years, saying, oh, we never made that deal. Um, and for me, and a lot of people agree, I, listen, it's not an embarrassment of riches. It's not like the Canucks moved no. someone and they turned into a Cam Neely, right? The parts that they have moved, I mean, Erica Branson, oh, you shouldn't trade the big guy. Let's trade him. Well, you know, Erica Branson's moved on to a couple of teams already. Um, you know, in the end, you got Tanner Pearson for him. But uh, I'd like, and again, there's no fix. It's, there's no Mr. Fix-It in a deal. But I think Zach Cassian is the one guy who right now with this team in 2021 uh, could use a wing. Hey, the, the vacancy sign is there on the right wing. Why not have another right winger to go, you know what? You never know. Cassian might be able to help this team right now. He's the one guy, James, that I look at and go, yeah, he'd help us. He'd help them right now. Uh, you know, we would still probably have the same issues. You need to be more consistent. But I think he could help this hockey team. Well, and look at the way he's fit with Connor McDavid, right? And and how would how would somebody like that look if, say, Cassian was playing alongside Miller and Pedersen? Exactly. And, you know, you drop Besser down to the second line with Pearson and Horvat. You know, what what does that look like all of a sudden? I mean, you're, yeah, I mean, it's there's some muscle, um, some absolute jam in your lineup. But, man, like it was the years that the years that it took to get Zach Cassian to be the best version. And, you know, I think he had to clean up his life off the ice. And that was a real problem here during his time in Vancouver. Right. I mean, I think if. If you um, went out in, in downtown Vancouver, chances are you might run into Zach Cassian, and and I think that sometimes it's it's hard to to shake that that inconsistency that I saw here. I'd lean towards Nick Benino, and and imagine where if you could do that over again. Brandon Sutter fell apart when he came here physically, and and I'm a mm-hmm. big Brandon Sutter guy, not to the degree that Andrew Walker, where he's got a statue outside of his uh, condo. But I would say that, you know, Brandon Sutter, I was a fan of his game, loved what he offered. I understood the logic and the rationale. The guy was all, like, he was essentially an Iron Man. He was healthy year after year after year pair. They made that move, sending Benino out. And if you look at what has happened with Sutter, but, you know, Nick Benino, with what he could offer as your third line center for this team right now, his skating um, gives you anywhere between 15 to 18 goals annually. Boy, I think he'd check a lot of boxes for this team right now. Well, he makes good money, won himself a championship. I, I, I don't disagree with what Nick Benino would bring. I, I think he was uh, underestimated. It's funny, when a lot of these deals were made, it, it kind of like the Canucks were rudderless, you know, in 2015 and 16. It's just, where are you? You were a, a playoff team, but really you shouldn't have been there. Now you're hanging on with the Sedins. Who's going to be behind them? And they, they had a lot of people in here. Uh, that came and didn't do anything. Jared McCann is someone who's all getting a lot of love on the Dunbar Lumber yes. text line as well. Uh, you know, I, I think every time McCann scores, we go, oh, geez, they gave up on him too quick. And, and you can agree with that. Um, but it's not like his numbers are outstanding. He seems to be another. What's the, the one commonality, James, with all these players who were moved and brought in still seems to be consistency. Like, if you get them at their best, but McCann, Acassian, it's how consistent are they? The struggle continues, and that's the conversation when you get to Jake Vertanen. If you got a consistent player, then probably they're not being traded. That's been the flaw of all these guys who are moved. You know, McCann, I always – and it's it, and maybe he has changed as a player in other markets, 
But Jared McCann, um, the reputation he had within the room and within the organization, you know, bad attitude. And and maybe it's better now. Uh, he's obviously shown that he's an NHL player and, and a solid one at that, right, in terms of what yep. he can offer. But that guy was seen as, you know, poisonous within the room and very immature at the time. And and quickly went with what? In his first three years in the league, he was essentially on three different teams. Like the Canucks tapped out on him. You know, the the Florida Panthers gave up on him. And now the Pittsburgh Penguins have, have had Jared, Jared McCann here. And, and, he's, and he's found a nice fit there with a team that, you know, is looking at a very aging core with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And we'll see if there's one last run for, for 87. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do wonder about the, the, the attitude and is he the right mind for this team uh, at, at this stage of their 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 development? Well, I, I think, you know, McCann, um, Cassian, I, I think what they are are NHL players as far as skill set. But the challenge for the for those two guys, the challenge for Jake Bertanet is always between the years. Like, you have been given enough talent to play in the best league in the world. But it's just a matter of how bad you want it. McCann, maybe more so than the three, uh, probably has the most talent and just didn't uh, just didn't get it. Like, great, you've been drafted. Uh, you're now on a team. But what does it take to become a professional? And, and showing up late to practices and kind of being late on the ice, that, that doesn't work. That's not what makes you a professional. That's not what makes you a good NHL or a leader. So when you've already been dotted around to a few teams, it's just not there. I, you know, I would say from an Eric Branson, who's what? He's gone from Florida to here to, to Pittsburgh and, and Anaheim. Is that where he is now? Is Gabranson's now in Ottawa? Is he not? I believe. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. I, yeah. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think that's because he doesn't have the right attitude. I just think skill and, and, you know, the, the game has moved faster than what he was when he got drafted where he is. So there's got to be some flaws. <laughs> some people say, that's yeah, just a lot of garbage out there. Yeah, it's it's it not is, like yeah. there's a shiny toy that, oh, they got that wrong. There's no Cam Neely's out here. Um, it's players that are NHLers but just didn't fit the Canucks right now. I think Zach Cassie, though, because of what this team's looking for, is the place I would lean to go, hey, bring him back. Yeah, and you you look at you look at where things are at. Um, there's not yeah, there's not a lot of regret. I, mean, I guess you know Tyler Madden's getting some consideration. I mean Madden had never played a game with the Canucks, but in terms of where he's at, um, you know, boy, when you look at what the cost turned out to be for essentially what twenty games of Tyler Toffoli, who who wasn't re-signed, you know, yeah. you kind of go, oh, you know, Jim. Maybe that was a little too much, but boy, oh boy, you know, Tyler Toffoli, I think everybody was all day, every day uh, when he first got here and he was a point of game player in those 10 regular season games, got hurt. Uh, I don't think we saw the best version of Tyler Toffoli in the playoffs, but, you know, he still contributed. Like, you know, he still provided some offense, um, you know, in the postseason. Yeah, I, I, uh, I would think that in three or four years down the road, there may be a few people that go, really? We had Tyler Madden, and we gave him up. Now, he's not a big guy. How small can you be in the NHL? Um, yeah, but but at the same time, go, well, look what JT Miller has turned into. You are going to win some. You're going to lose some. And Tyler Toffoli, at that moment, fit what they needed to him fit, right? Here you go. Uh, got hurt. And, and maybe that's the one that quietly Jim would say, mm, that one got away. People won't be uh, – 
yearning for Tyler to fully if all of a sudden you see a Pod Colson or a Hoagland or not necessarily immediately, but are two years from now go, these guys are legit. And they go, oh, good thing we don't have to fully here for a couple more years at 4 million. These kids are doing the job at entry level contract deals. But yeah, Madden may turn into a player, but there's, there's risk reward. It doesn't seem like some of the, the changes that have been made have really come back to haunt uh, the Vancouver Canucks as, as far as uh, players they let go and, and what they got. Here's one that nobody has suggested until now here, Pear, but uh, Carl texted in uh, suggesting uh, Michael Grabner. Well, I would have said if we were doing this five years ago, yes, because Michael Grabner was essentially the Mason Raymond decision. I looked at those two guys as the same player and go, okay, which one do you want? And I think the way Michael Grabner played the game and how fast he was, he would have sit uh, and would have fit here in a big way. So Michael Grabner now, I, I think his best days are gone. But yeah, Michael Grabner should have been a hockey player in this uniform and he would have worked out. Um, but I think at the time they thought they had a Mason Raymond there and they can, they can make a move. But yeah, that might be one that an organization thinks he should have stayed with this team. Yeah, I mean, health health has been maybe, a, 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 I mean, Look, he's in tremendous shape, right? You see all you see all the social media videos of this guy working out. I mean, the guy is, you know, guy looks like a superhero. Um, but yeah, I think he's 33 now. And, and in terms of are you, are you getting that? Are, what are you going to get from Michael Grabner now? Um, you know, what, what was pretty good for the uh, the Coyotes in the playoffs and the, when the NHL returned to play, um, three goals in the nine games for for the Coyotes mm-hmm. in the bubble, but. Um, yeah, I think when you look at what the options are, I think, you know, Nick Benino, Zach Cassie, and Jared McCann are probably your top three options as guys who actually suited up in Canucks uniforms and where you're at. Right uh, now, always sign your text, too, on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, thanks for making me laugh, whoever sent this in. Ryan Shannon, Brad Isbister, Mark Schwenard. You just kind of remember where this team was, man. It was a turnstile of trying to figure out where people fit. Right, it's uh, we are no longer there. I think there was a Jason Magna shout out here too, on uh, Lyndon Vay. Uh, yeah, there is, man. If you were an NHLer or or you thought you were an NHLer, James, a good AHL player, boy, you probably looked at the Canucks, man. If I could get a crack on that lineup, I think I could stay. Thankfully, those days are gone. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, we're starting to the the franchise is turning the page in in a good way here going forward. Um, now the NHL needs to turn the page. Uh, Elliot Friedman, uh, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, was on the program yesterday uh, with Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah, and kind of touched in on uh, where things are at right now with the NHL and trying to uh, drop the puck on where things sit. Here's what Friedman had to say in terms of, you know. The reports over the last few days saying that the economic framework is done, they're not going to change what the CBA agreed to from months ago was. But Friedman seemed to suggest that players have other views with respect to that. Basically what it looks like to me is there's, there's some escrow money that hasn't been paid from last year, and I think it's in the neighborhood of like 250 to $300 million. Plus they already paid bonuses this year. And uh, and one paycheck, and then there's going to be the rest of the salaries this year, and it's going to be a lot of money because it's it, we're going to go fifty fifty. It's not going to be that. It's going to be way over for the players, and you know their feeling was the payback should have been sped up. Like now, like there's a chance that the owners are not 
made whole for seven years. And they're really unhappy about it. They're, they're very unhappy about it. And, but the thing is, like, sometimes in this league, you know, people grumble about things and they get upset about things, and, but they don't say anything. They'll complain to me or, you know, other people inside their organization. But, like, when it comes face-to-face in a room to do it, it doesn't go anywhere. And the commissioner is very good at dealing with that. So I'm just curious tomorrow to see, does anybody say anything like this isn't right? Because I think there are a bunch of owners who really don't like this. They think it's bad business, but you never know if it's actually going to go anywhere or not. Hmm. So there's uh, there's Elliot in terms of suggesting that, okay, there's money that hasn't been paid back to the players just yet, and that might kind of foot the bill in terms of what those supposed concessions are right now, Pear. That, that, that's something. Be curious to see if you take a guy like, like eventually the the players. That's a fifty fifty split, right? Eventually the players are going to have to give money back, or or to have to make make this whole thing whole. And and I understand going. Hey, four months ago you said this was enough, and now you're not. And they're going. Oh, let's keep on playing. I guess we'll figure it out when we see when we get people back. But what does it mean? Like if you're Alex Edler, you got a year left, and I'm sure he'll stick around and play a little bit longer. But if they're paying in seven or eight years. Are they going back and saying, hey, we, Alex, we've got to go back to 2021, part of that salary? Yeah, we needed to charge you more. So, uh, there's financial questions for accountants and agents where I think a lot of people have that in mind. Good on them at the beginning of this week, though. They said, you know, we'll figure this out down the road, but we need to start playing. At least that's where they're at. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's exactly it. Now, here's what Friedman also adding uh, a little further uh, this morning uh, with respect to uh, the NHL return to play and why owners uh, are examining the idea of the preference of a um, of a longer season to a shorter one. I think there are more owners who would rather have a longer season than a shorter one um, because they're locked into, as it stands right now, they're locked into paying the full salaries, right? Or 72% of the gross. And there's no proration. Like whether the players play 82 games, which they're not, or 56 or 48, they're getting the full amount of that number. And so because there's no proration, I think most owners would feel, let's get as many games as we can because it's worth more to us in terms of value for the money. The second thing is, is that, um, and this is why there's talk about playing in your own arenas as opposed to in hubs as the preference is that, you know, like your sponsors, the fewer games you play, whether it's on regional television or national television or your in-game activations and things like that, especially without fans, you owe them, whether it's make goods or you have to pay back money. Like I, I heard last week that there was, that there was at least one owner who suggested let's play 82 let's start when we start and let's go and if we have to take a two-week break in the olympics and finish at the end of august let's do it um and i don't think there was enough support for that but i don't think that people thought that idea was ridiculous now i think the league looked at the summer tv numbers last year and said you know, that's not really what we want to do. And we want to get to next year on a normal schedule again. But like, it it wasn't as if that owner was like laughed out of the room. People understood the reason. So I think that's kind of where we are. 
You know they'll play. You know they'll play. Um, just a question of how long they'll play. And I, I get that. I get the logic. I mean, here's the other thing that, you know, if, like, if you're going to pay, and, and I think you also want to try to maximize as much TV revenue as well, right? I mean, it's you want to get the most out well, of If you're going to play, you know, why play for as little games as possible? Well, I agree. Yeah, like you said, you know they'll play. They'll play five and six nights. I mean, that's where the PA's <laughs> got to step up. Because as an owner, if this is what I'm like, hey, man, why don't you just play every night of the week? People work every night of the week. Why don't you do that? That's where you're going to have to have some good conversations to go, okay, this is this is how much you can push on us. I know it's great to say you're paying us anywhere and you get more more money in your pockets if we're playing 72 games uh, almost every night because they don't have to give money back to your broadcast partners, and I understand that. So now it's the PA going, okay, what is ridiculous? I think we are going to see. We heard it with the NBA. They essentially have a load management rule, but you can't take games off that are deemed kind of prime time. And in big cities, you're not going to – LeBron doesn't get a day of rest on a Sunday, uh, you know, all of a sudden when, when Houston's coming to town or the Celtics, right? But if he's in Sacramento on a Tuesday, you can go and do it. I think we're going to see a little bit of load management. And I think this is where the PA is going to have to have pushback. Okay, what's reasonable? Someone texting on the Dumber Lumber text line going, well, how many exhibition games? Well, the talk is they won't play any exhibition games. So this first month of the season, players are going to be figuring out what's going on. You know, take Montreal, the changes they made, how long will that take? So find a number. It's the first I've heard that you would go past the Olympics. I don't think that makes any sense, James. Finish this thing as quickly as you can in July. Let us go to the Olympics and then tell everybody training camp starts in the end of September, and we will drop the puck a week into October and we'll play 82 games and hope by then everything is as back to normal as it will be with hopefully vaccines. And if buildings can't be 100% full, at least there's thousands of people in respective arenas to watch them play for next year. All right, 25 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this Wednesday morning. He's Perry. I'm James. Uh, still lots more to go here on the starting lineup here on this Wednesday morning. Ed Jovanovski joined us bright and early this morning and went down memory lane. And, man, something that we didn't remember, but it was a whole lot of crazy. We'll share that story next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 8.30 here on this Wednesday morning. James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski kicking it with you until 9 o'clock when the Scott Rintoul Show takes on over. And uh, good news here in the last little while here, Pear. Um, Health Canada has approved Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, there was talk yesterday from uh, BC Premier John Horgan that uh, we'll get more information on how the vaccine is going to be rolled out. But I guess 4,000 doses are are coming our way this month. But, uh, yeah, it's all happening, man. We're going to go back to the office at some point. We're going to get back to commuting yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, at some point we will, and it's good. You got everything okay with the dog issue there? I just I heard some commercial break. I heard some yelping. Was that yours? Nope, not mine. Really? Man, can I go check? There's bears infiltrating houses where I live. Maybe it's mine. <laughs> I might be leaving in a hurry from my little studio here. That's one way to keep uh, no. people to keep people at home, right? Stay home or the bears will go in your house. Uh, yeah. No, that's great news for Health Canada. 
moving forward, man. One day we need some good news for the 25th. There you go. Yeah, that's a step in the right direction. Ed Jovanoski uh, joins us every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. Today, no different. And uh, Eddie kind of went down memory lane and shared uh, – Talked a little bit about, we're talking this morning about if you could get one player back from the Canucks that they traded away here uh, that's still an active member, who would it be? And asked Eddie, who was the one guy that your team traded away that got away during his years as a player? And we kind of opened it up to Florida and Arizona and here with the Canucks, and the name that stood out was one that uh, named Stu Barnes. Here's Eddie uh, this morning on the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. My second year in Florida, we moved Stu Barnes for mm. Chris Wells. You remember that trade? I remember Stu oh, Barnes, I... who had a very good career and played. He was great with the Stars after right. that, too. Yeah. Right. And the Sabres. And, um, you know, Wells, you being a first round pick in, in, uh, in Pittsburgh, um, you know, big boy. But I, I think, you know, Stu Barnes was, you know, a real leader on our team. And, um, you know, as a young player, you don't really read into too much of that. But, you know, for me to kind of look back, I remember looking back at the end of that year and going, boy, we, we really missed him. Um, so that was that's one that's one that I, I look back at and say, um, you know, wish could, you know, they never made that trade. What about in a Canuck uniform? The one oh, guy that left. God. I, I can't think of tough. If you want to. Well, no. Were you ever were you ever involved as you became more of a leader? I mean, the brash the brash trade was tough. You know, I think we discussed that one before on air. I, I think you know losing a big you know popular guy, uh, tough guy, really did everything to protect his teammates. Um, so that was always one you look back. You always use one of those guys on your on your team where you know things don't get too out of control because they're going to have to deal with him. So. That was always a tough trade. Thank you for this. Uh, I'll work on the game. Grove 23. We'll talk to Bert, and uh, it'll be fun. Hey, by the way, what's going on in Vancouver with singing the national anthem these days? <laughs> Can you sing? And by the way, here's my here's my world junior kind of switching. I had two goals in 14 seconds versus Germany in the world uh, junior, and Don Hay didn't play me rest of the game. What? Go figure. What? Yeah, I wasn't a Western kid. You know, I played in the O. All his, his whole back end was from the Western League. Bomber was on that team. Bomber. So you get two, you get two goals in the in what like the first period or or in the first couple. I, I, I think it was the first period. I had two goals in fourteen seconds and rode pine the rest of the game. <laughs> I was a little kid on the team. You know, I was a little baby. Or you what know. were what were your teammates saying at the time? Like they didn't care. They were playing. Yeah. <laughs> It was a veteran. It was a veteran team that year, right? Because it, it there was. were a lot of guys. There it were a was. lot of guys. There were a lot of guys. I had, that a, I had were... a little bit of credential behind my name. Well, you were a first overall pick. I was a first pick. So come on, man. <laughs> that's a let's pretty good. To, let's get let's good. get Don. Let's whatever, get Don Hay on the show happened with you. To... <laughs> I'm looking at that roster, guys. Chad Allen. Why does that Chad name it. not ring a bell? Yeah, Lee Sorokin, um, Wade Redden. Yeah, Redden was only 17 kid. at that time. Delta uh, firefighter uh, Dennis Peters Pedersen is on that team. Yeah. Uh, Langley. Who was the other? Who was the other guys on the back end? We named a few of them. Jamie Rivers. Jamie Rivers. Nolan Baumgartner. Lee yeah. Sorchin. Chad Allen's the name I don't recognize. Yeah, a steady defenseman. A lot of grit up front, though. 
Like a lot of a lot of grit yeah. up front on that roster. Where uh, yeah, it was had, a great uh, team. Jason Allison, you know, Harv, Eric Eric Daze, big body. Eric Sean Daze Donovan could score. My yeah. God, Donovan was a solid. You know, just a solid checker for years in the right. uh, with the Sharks. Ottawa Jeff, boy, eh? Seaball? Yeah, you know Ottawa it. Sixty sevens, you know it. Jesus, uh, Jeff Freeze. <laughs> you're you're salty this morning. I like it. Uh, Jeff Freeze, Todd Harvey, Marty Murray, yeah. Ryan Smith, you know Larry uh, Corville. Jeff yeah, uh, Freezy. Yeah, Freeze was there. Scored yeah. that. Uh, Any checker. Darcy Tucker was there. I'll tell you one thing, Eddie. If you had a 1995 reunion and you guys were swapping stories, looking at that group, you're the only one who'd say, yeah, I'm going to play the Grove 23. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what my conversation with Darcy Tucker would be, but we had some, we had some, nice, we had some nice exchanges throughout our career. A in, a, in a positive or a salty way there, uh, Joe? Yes, you know, a little bit of both. His brother-in-law chased me in the locker room once in, in Shane Corson. Shane Corson. What chased you into the locker room? What? Yeah, yeah. We got into it on the ice. Uh, probably said some things that I probably wouldn't say today. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I got I was got kicked out. I think I got a, you know two five and ten. I was in the locker room. Next, you know, Corson is flying into the locker room. We're, and we we went at it in, in our Canucks locker room. And in the room, one game you got one game suspension from that. Come on, didn't you guys cover Vancouver sports when I was there? I'm trying yeah. to forget. How do yeah, I not I remember? I don't that. remember these. Yeah, I don't remember that story. Wow. And you actually got into a fight. Yeah, we we fought in the locker room. Broken up by who? Uh, the security guards that were draped on his back while he was trying to run in the locker room. Corson was tough too. Yeah, yeah. This is this is good stuff, buddy. You guys should charge for these stories. Gosh, charge. Eddie, I would have been traveling with you. Just another great, just another great moment that I would have covered that I forgot. Right. Well, you know what? It was you know, Corson and I have uh, have you seen up? each other since. Yeah. You know, sometimes you know you say things on the ice that you just think about later like why did i even go there and, and vice versa you know you get it you get it you dish it um you know but like i said before hockey players you can get into it and then go have a beer and everything's good uh you know i i i'll say this like i mean corson had a bit of a reputation to begin with but you know what uh, greg balick actually has the audio for this greg do, do you have that can we share this with the uh... Is it a different fight? You and Corson got into it another time here. Listen to this here, Eddie. And they start throwing, and Corson gets in a couple of big rights, but Jovanovski's got some steam behind his, and they are tossing him. Another, the third fight in this hockey game. And Corson's had a lot of those in his career. He, like, Corson was a tough guy. Like, was that was yeah. that after the fact? Like, was that a return match or was that before? Uh, I, it, it it might it might have been. I I know I fought I fought Corse and Tucker in the same game because they're related <laughs> in the family. Really? <laughs> yeah. There's uh, Ed Jovanovski taking a trip down memory lane. Yeah. Going into your room, like you know, and you know, you you brought this up, I think, uh, last week. But the torts, um, you know, Hartley, incident, Hartley, right yeah. in the hallway. 
But imagine a guy, you know, thinking back, it's 20 years later now, but, you know, an opposing member of a team going into your room, into the dressing room, and throwing down. Well, and and you used the word imposing. That was Shane Corson. Man, uh, I wouldn't get in his way when, like, he had the ability to lose it. And I can only imagine, I I mean, we can kind of guess, you know, the whole family, what Eddie might have been talking about and chirping about to course. And uh, so Corson comes in there and they go at it. And Corson got a six-game suspension because of that. But, yeah, you know, I I think we forget, James. I mean, because of that Hartley uh, Tortorella, you know, then all of a sudden you saw, you know, some new security measures taken, right? You come to the fact, you know, they're used to, you know, now there's cover when players walk out. There's a lot of things that if you dial it back to the, you know, 2000 and all that, where, you know, the security wasn't as tight. You weren't expecting those to happen. And, you know, the incident has to happen before the NHL goes, oh, we should uh, look at what the security situation and the personnel is. But, you know, depending on who the security guys are, honestly, if you're a security guard down there and you see an NHL player irate, do you kind of think it's your job to say, no, 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 Mr. Corson, you can't go in there. Get out of my way type of thing, I'm sure, is the attitude that they bring, right? Oh, no, yeah, I mean, that's it. Um, Shane Corson, you know, a, a big part, you think back of those late 90s, early 2000s, impact player in the National Hockey League, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you, a guy you wouldn't necessarily want to be uh, – raging on you you'd rather have him on your team than against but 841 here uh some final thoughts before we turn things over to scotty uh and some other news uh, one of the most respected coaches on the planet is questioning why we are continuing to play that story next right here on sportsnet 650 now more of the starting lineup with james sabolski and perry solkowski on sportsnet 650 all right, 846, uh, last call for us here on this uh, Wednesday morning. The Scott Ritual Show coming your way at 9 o'clock. Tim McAuliffe, Lofa Tatupu, and Greg Wyshynski all scheduled to join Scotty beginning at 9 o'clock this morning. James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski with you. Another ski making news here in the last 12 hours here, Pear, and that's uh, Coach K, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, the head coach of Duke, uh, suggesting that, uh, you know what, maybe this isn't the best idea to keep on playing. Now, he says this right after his team got spanked thoroughly last night by Illinois, but Coach K saying, I would just like for the safety, the mental and physical health, the players and staff to assess where we're at right now. Well, we had this conversation, and there's more news about the World Juniors and Team Sweden we'll get to in a moment, but we had Donna Spencer on to talk about Hockey Canada and the World Juniors. I'm telling you right now, I want someone from Hockey Canada to step up and say what you're doing is the right thing to have these kids go play for, really, so we can escape our issues. Uh, You can't escape this, but let's insert what Krzyzewski was saying last night to what, you know, as they push this tournament through. We're just plowing through this. Yeah, I agree with this. People are saying the next six weeks are going to be the worst. Well, Alberta locked down like less than 24 hours ago, and that's where the tournament is. To me, it's already pretty bad. I'll agree with you, Coach. On the other side of it, there are these vaccines that are coming up. We just had it approved within the last half hour by Health Canada. By the end of the month, and we have to change the number, because he's saying $20 million in the U.S. will be giving. By the end of January or February, we'll have even more vaccine shots. Yep. Should we not reassess that and just see what would be best? You know? 
I just think that makes so much. He says, I know that the NCAA is worried about the end game. I would question that I think Hockey Canada is worried about the end game and the monetary value to this tournament. They're not worried about the game we're playing right now. I want someone here. That's that's Mike Krzyzewski and Duke, and, and he's won it all. And you're right, James. He says, yeah, we got our butts beat. I'm, I'm talking about something after we just got beat by Illinois. He's not used to losing. But I do think you t- you need someone to say step back. Okay, we're you know they're moving around to college basketball a-, a little bit. But I would just like someone from Hockey Canada, James, to step up on this news. The team Sweden again hit by another slap in the face. Their goaltending yeah. coach uh, has coronavirus, so he's not going. Four players already reassigned, but fourth leaders tested positive. So who's coming to play here in Canada? Uh, that's going to be really healthy. Going here's our best lineup. Well, like, are are we going to see the best version? Um, no. Yeah, of, of the, for teams going forward here. Look, and this goes back to what we were talking about, um, you know, uh, earlier this morning. And Hockey Canada gets a lot of money from television deals for the World Juniors. And that goes a long ways to help pay for other Hockey Canada sanctioned events. And if you lose that money, that's that's a big chunk of change out of the pockets for Hockey Canada. Just as the NCAA, the National Football League, you know, the NFL get billions of television dollars, right? It's the same as the NBA, the the NHL. This is why these teams and these leagues can all play uh, and sustain some of these losses uh, playing in empty venues because of the television contracts. Now, the NHL, not to the degree of the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the National Football League, because their TV deal pales in comparison as to some of the other heavyweights, but, you know, this is why, you know, when you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are at stake from a television standpoint, that's why there's the push to play. And look at the NCAA. I mean, man, like, some of these some of these college programs, whether it's basketball and football pair, they make as much money as pro teams, right? With the endorsement deals and some of the mm-hmm. money that these guys make. And and that's why, you know, the National Hockey League or, or Hockey Canada, for that matter, they get a lot of money from the World Juniors from Bell Media. And there's no question that they will look to try to do this at all costs. And obviously the province of Alberta, they stand to benefit somehow, some way, because they're still giving this a thumbs up despite shutting everybody else down. Well, the end of this, the Swedish news says uh, we had an urgent need to supplement our management team even before this announcement. So we are in a serious situation in terms of the rules that have been set for the tournament. We're in dialogue right now with the International Ice Hockey Federation. We will now update them on our situation to see what alternatives we have. James, is it a World Junior Championship if Sweden doesn't come? I mean, I guess you have the Olympics when, when boycotted countries. That's a different situation. But, you know, the, the situation in Sweden is awful right now. Uh, you know, they, they tackled this pandemic in a different way, and it's coming back to bite them. You know, is, is it a, oh, all right, here's the world championships. It's the USA and it's Canada, and, and there'll be no Swedes. The Germans have made it, and that's it. Do you keep pushing the tournament through? Well, you, you, you lose a legitimate heavyweight contender, uh, for every year. I mean, if you go back in years past, like, you know, Sweden was a bronze medalist last year, right? They were silver mm-hmm. in 2018. Um, you know, you look over the years, you know, they haven't they haven't won it since 2012, but, 
you know, they got three silvers in that span. They've got a bronze. Like, that's a team that has as good a chance as a lot of teams to to be on the podium, right? Um, you know, yeah, no, it's like taking Canada out of the tournament. And maybe, you know, maybe Sweden doesn't necessarily rank as high as Canada, but... Yeah, no, it's that's it's a total impact in losing that. Now you got also the story just two hours south of us here, pair this morning, that the Washington Huskies football team they've paused all team-related activities due to an increase in positive COVID-19 cases within their program. That's according to the University of Washington this morning. So the Huskies are kind of holding, you know, standing down. You saw Michigan, Ohio State, one of the biggest college football games of the year annually in the NCAA sched. That game's been canceled this year. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's still happening, yeah. right? There's hope is on the way. Help is on the way. A vaccine is coming. We got the thumbs up today from our uh, from our country, Health Canada, with the Pfizer vaccine. But it's going to take a while to get here, right? Like you know, for all of us thinking, hey, this is we're all going to get back to normal in a month. We're probably still like you know, I mean, you're was it Doctor Bonnie or even Justin Trudeau talking about like in the last few in the last week. We might be waiting. You and I might be a year away from getting a vaccination. Yeah, I just think it's so bad right now. Um, it, it is. If you didn't think this that the World Juniors was about marketing and money for Hockey Canada, you're understanding it is now. And the the kids, I'm sure they want to play, but I'd just like to hear someone from Hockey Canada talk about not the team and sending five players away because they're unfit to play and just trying to get into that bubble and see who arrives to get it done for our viewing pleasures. Uh, I, I just think right now, hey, Hockey Canada, I don't know if this is the right way to lead, and it is nothing but dollars as far as I'm concerned right now, where you see other countries trying to panic to go, will we meet the criteria? And as Donna Spencer told us, I guess we'll see what kind of countries show up over the weekend, because maybe not everyone's showing up here to the tournament. We got to get out of here. The Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the clock with much more on all of this over the course of the morning. Uh, we're back at it. Same bad time, same bad channel tomorrow. Brian Burke, part of the show at 7 a.m. right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.